Welcome to another flashback edition of Spotlight here on Grapple. I'm Benno. I'm Joe. And I'm JP. And we're back again to talk more to WCW and the loan deals active again. We've got on the line with us, like we did last time, it's Jimmy, ha- I mean Martin Bushby uh, <laughs> of the British Wrestling Experience. Here he is. Hi, Martin. Hi, uh, <laughs> Fuck you, many ways now. I deserve that. Uh, <laughs> I enjoyed yeah, on the thanks last. Thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it. Oh no problem. I enjoyed on the last spotlight when I I snuck in that picture of of Will with his uh, his tiger face paint on, mm. and I snuck in the Jimmy Havoc photo, and I tried to make a joke about the, <laughs> the Jimmy Havoc with long hair photo being you. And I'm pretty sure Andy Ogden bought it. He was the only one, but he he, he pretty was. I'm sure. <laughs> Is that not Jimmy Havoc? I was like, yeah, yeah, it's Jimmy Havoc. Yeah. Oh, so, I must have missed that. I, said, I didn't realize he'd actually bought it. It was me. <laughs> <laughs> you don't look like him in any other situation I can probably say it was you that came up with it wasn't it Joe you're the one oh, no, yeah I brought it on myself really <laughs> yeah you put the photo <laughs> in our group chat it was your own doing you're asking for trouble there mate you really I know I know <laughs> of all the people to compare myself to uh, has nobody ever made so that so similar before? in so many ways that's true yeah yeah. Mate, you're looking better than him. You're probably about the same age as him. I'd say, you know, life is treating you better than it's treating Jimmy Havoc at the moment. Like that bloke. You know, Jim Cornette's comments on Havoc, I was kind of like nodding along to oh, those. What did he say? He said he looks like he's got AIDS or something. <laughs> Bit oh. bad. I didn't want to actually say that on this episode, if I'm quite honest with you, Benno, but you got it out of me. It's it wasn't okay. hard, was it? But you just, you mine, you're looking someone. a lot better than Havoc is. Put it that way. <laughs> Havoc's tattoos as well. Shock him. Uh, as judgmental as ever. <laughs> Uh, we've, the trade whether it's deal- flashback or whether it's normal, Joe, never change. Oh, that's it. Yeah, it's the flashback episode. This one. That's the uh, mm. that's the title we're going with. Um, yeah. What Unless we- anyone else comes up with anything better. Oh, for you, these. You're tempting fate there, JP. I am tempting fate by that flashback. Pretty simple. It exactly describes what it is. Yeah, there you go. It works. Uh, but yeah, we got Martin back over on this side after we had uh, Joe over on BWE with us doing the Ring of Honor review. Uh, I'll apologise again to you, Martin, for the three and a half hour runtime. Hope it was okay. No, no, it was <laughs> we brilliant. Yeah, I was, was, was going to mention what a fantastic episode it was. Obviously, you know, we don't want to blow too much smoke, but yeah, brilliant. Just to reiterate what everyone else has been saying, such a brilliant episode. Um, I mean, like JP, I wasn't really sort of like following Ring of Honor around that time, but I remember there was a fantastic article in Power Slam about uh, Nigel McGuinness and how he'd He'd had to you he'd had to go to that style of wrestling to get himself over with the Ring of Honor fans and how they were worried that, you know, it, it, how it'd affect him in the long run, I suppose, you know, it was quite uh, prophetic because, you know, he did eventually have to retire, didn't he? So that's kind of nuts. Um but yeah, I, I think you you and JP did well to escape the uh, the world that we were me and Joe were living in at that period in our lives. So it's nice to look back on now. But uh, yeah, you you two sounded like you actually had lives and uh, had some more sense. Than <laughs> hey, you two had a wild weekend that weekend, oh, weren't you? Well, the man. second one, the second one. Yeah, yeah, Benno had a wilder weekend than I did. I wasn't at the second show. Benno's bus story, you know, kind of ah. topped it than I did that weekend. Put it that way. <laughs> yeah, that's what we needed three and a half hours for. Uh, but yeah, uh, how have you been otherwise, Martin? You've been catching up with that. Um, I know this is right up your street. That that uh, Jordan documentary on Netflix. Uh, what's it called? The last. 
stand, is it? The Last Dance, yeah. Last dance, I've been it. really, really looking forward to it, but I've been falling down like a Nitro WCW hole this week, and I think mm. I might wait for all the episodes to come out so ah. I can just binge watch them all. I know a lot about that period. So that was like the peak of my sort of like NBA fandom. I think Channel 4 had started showing it over here around that time. So, but yeah, yeah I'm, re- I'm really looking forward to watching it. But um, yeah, I think I'm just going to wait till all the episodes have been released and binge watch it from there. Oh, you've seen some of it, haven't you, JP? Yeah, they've had the first two episodes up on Netflix. And I mean, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. It kind of has that higher tier like kind of 30 for 30, but it's the kind of people they've got involved. Not only have you got Jordan talking frankly about things, which is really great. And you, you know, cause it was obviously relatively kind of controlled, but it's got this weird technique of these interviews with them in present, uh, not weird, but it kind of goes between the interviews in present day archive. Uh, sorry, this behind the scenes footage of this season where they're going for their sixth straight NBA title. And then, archive footage to show the rise of Michael Jordan and his career and Scotty Pippen. And, and I'm sure they're going to end up covering Rodman and Phil Jackson in later weeks, but as good as you imagine it to be mine, it's that good. And well, that's the main thing for me, I think, because obviously Jordan's been, you know, quite protective of his image over the years and stuff. And just that's the big thing for me, seeing him actually sit down and do an interview where he's not sort of like trying to protect his image and being quite frank and honest about him. From what you're saying, that's um, exactly what it is. It's what you're getting. And you're coming out of episodes and people aren't coming out looking amazing. And that's not a bad thing because there's a real degree of kind of honesty to it. So... For those like kind of, I'm trying to think of the of like the OJ thirty for thirty. It mm. hasn't got that kind of socio political context to it, but like as looking at like a period of time at what was the greatest team in the world, and weirdly links to this episode as well. It's an absolutely unmissable series. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Like that, it, that it's come out this week, the week we're doing a 1997 Nitro slash Bash at the Beach kind of podcast. Because mm. yeah, that is literally it. Most of it is set during pretty much that period, isn't it? With the whole, you know, uh, the reset of the team and stuff. Like I wasn't hugely familiar with the story. I was definitely like the one like NBA game I ever had on PlayStation One was Total NBA '97. So it kind of like I used to play as the Bulls. So like I think that was how I originally knew who Robin was, yeah, knew Scottie Pippen was, knew. I don't think Jordan was in the game. It was during that period where I think like the high salary players could uh, had to be paid extra for the games. So mm-hmm. I think he's just in there as like you know generic guard number one. Uh, or whatever. So I'm, I'm pretending I know what position he plays. Whatever position he plays. <laughs> <laughs> he, was he, he was a guard. Yeah, yeah, well got it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the, like that game. And like, I think I, I maybe watched a couple of Bulls games during that period because it was, you know, it was such a big part of popular culture. that it, I've, I've, It's probably like, you know, the same story, like the, the Man United fans who live in like Africa or somewhere. Uh, they know about Man United. Like we knew about the Bulls. <laughs> Even though I might not have known anything else about basketball, I, I knew about the Bulls. I knew about Jordan. And I vaguely knew this team and you know, that this was all, all going on at the same time. They were definitely. I mean, you could. There may be an argument for Man U as well, but easily the biggest sports franchise in the world with the most sort of like well-known player of all time. Surely. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's up there. Yeah. Uh, if you seen, you haven't seen any of it, have you yet, Joe? It's on. It is on Netflix. If anyone's wondering, it's like a like you said, it's an ESPN documentary, but it's winding up on Netflix. I'll wait till it's uh, done all ten episodes. <clears throat> um, I can't do TV by the week anymore. Yeah. Um, 
I've just made my own schedule with stuff like, you know, I'll still broadcast TV, but it'll be mm. news and sport. Well, no, not sport at the moment. Uh, plenty of news, though. Um, but with something like a documentary series, like, I think I've just been too spoiled over the last few years. So if I've got to wait an extra week to see something, I'm, I'm not doing it now. I'll, yeah, it'll be what? Mm. Are they releasing two a week or are they doing, is it one a week from now on? Uh, have they announced that? Pretty sure it's one a week from now on. I'm not certain. No, do you know, JP? Yeah, I think it might be one a week from now on. Mm. Ah, so I'll start it in about eight or nine weeks then. That's fine. Yeah. So, it's not going that? away. <laughs> as yeah, a story. <laughs> I'm the same way, though. It's like um, Better Call Saul's been on Netflix. like the uh, They release it at the same time as American TV. That's the one thing I kind of make an exception for. I'll maybe like hold a couple of episodes at a time and then maybe watch two or three. And then mm. kind of wait again, uh, and then binge it again. Yeah, we weekly TV does feel like a, a thing of the past at, at this point. I still do it for Westworld I at the moment. You know, JP, I, I like the first season. Last mm. uh, second one, I just wasn't into. It, it's such a head fuck. I feel like it's almost effort to watch it. I think maybe that. I don't think it's bad in any way. I think just maybe I can't get my brain in like the mood to watch it. I I can see where you're coming from for it. But I love it. But then I'm a sucker for basically, as you guys know, anything HBO. Mm. Anything HBO, and I'm really willing to give it a chance. Have you got a Sky, JP? Are you watching it on like Sky Atlantic weekly or just like downloading the episodes? <laughs> I'll let the listener have a guess for <laughs> what, what I'm doing there. I think that's why I still watch like sort of like weekly TV because I've still sort of like got a Sky subscription. I'm one of the few people still out there, and um, yeah, and anything that comes on Sky Atlantic, I'll sort of like watch it weekly, like The Outsider. And I'm same as Ben. I sort of watched first series of Westworld, and then I sort of like drifted off, and it's something I need to get back into. I think. Did you like The Outsider? Fantastic, loved it. I absolutely loved it. Thought it was one of the best shows I've seen this year. I thought it was complete shit. I thought the first three episodes were great. I've never rated Jason Bateman so highly as an actor. I thought as soon as Bateman was gone, it went completely downhill. Mendelssohn hasn't got uh, leading man charisma, if you ask me. He's a great character actor, but me and my girlfriend lasted to the end. We wanted to know what was going to happen with this bloody monster. But <laughs> Spoiler alert. I was. We were both bored. It should have been six episodes rather than ten. I thought Are you a Stephen sh- King fan, though? I'm a fan of The Shining. Um because a lot like, of these novels are like that. They don't tend to have, like... I mean, apart from The Shining and Carrie, maybe some of the more famous ones, but they, a lot of them, for me, are, like, ensemble pieces. So, for me, Ben Mendelsohn fit that sort of, like, mould perfectly. Uh, but, I mean, not from... Um, looking at it from that perspective, I mean, if I was if I was a TV exec and I was casting someone as a lead actor in a TV show to keep an audience engaged, he's not the guy that I would go to. Like, I never watched Bloodline, but I, heard, I know he was the leading man in that. And I had a lot of people just saying it was kind of dull. Mm. And I think he's, a, like I said, a great character actor and can be part of a great ensemble. But when he's the focus or the key focus, I don't know. Like, he's think about great lead actors in HBO shows. He's not on the level of Gandolfini, if you ask me, as, in terms of leading man charisma. Dominic West as McNulty in The Wire. Oh, yeah. You think of... Uh, to be like that, though. As, Say a again. Char- as a character, he's not meant to be like that. He's no, meant to be I, kind of the stoic sceptic. 
Oh, yeah. I know. But for me, that's not a leading man in that in a 10 part TV show. There's got to be that little something extra that that actor can show that's going to keep me involved. And me and my girlfriend watched him were just week by like not say week by week, episode by episode, just falling away. And we were kind of just wanting it to end. Like really wanting it to end. Oh. Sorry, I know you guys liked it, but yeah, I really enjoyed. Loved it. Cynthia Arriba was fantastic in it. I thought. Who? Yeah, she was the um, Polly. Yeah, the really the weird oh, right. sort of yeah, like yeah. PI person. Yeah. I haven't seen oh. it, but I don't know. Based on Joe's description, there, I, I do like Ben Mendelsohn. Though, like I, I was gonna say, like on Bloodline, he was kind of the leading guy, but he was like the one B because it was like Kyle Chandler was the baby face. Well. The, the alleged baby face <laughs> very much a tweener role in it or like shades of grey in that one and Meddleson's like the one kind of messing like with him WCW yeah there's a, very, there's a good tie in there isn't there <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of that but I kind of get what you mean he wasn't the 1A he's more the 1B in that show although mm. like he dominates the show even when you know his character's not supposed to be in it anymore so, yeah, spoilers for, uh, for Bloodline from 20, 2015 there for anyone <laughs> we're quite used to spoiling stuff at this stage yeah spoilers for 1997 what was the big yeah. tv show in 97 what was like what was going on then what was like was it was that friends and seinfeld wasn't it yeah oz hadn't started yet had it joe no 97 oz started it did start Brass in 97 ah oh, interesting was that 98 bro 97 oh, 97 wow. yeah just having a having a look what what ma- what big events happened in 1997? Hong Kong independence. Scientists cloned Dolly the sheep. <laughs> Labour government, mate. Yeah, Labour government. Um, what else did we? Diana have died. Yeah. Then? Oh my god. Yeah, August I... 97. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Titanic, the Lost World, and Men in Black all came out in 97. Con Air, Speed Two. Oh. Batman, Batman and Robin. <laughs> I was going to say, Joe, how do you know Titanic? Con- how do you know Connor came out oh, in 1987? Ah, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that later, won't we? <laughs> oh yeah, great promo work from certain people, that's for sure. Oh, England yeah. won Le Tournoir in '97 as well. That was a big event for me. Wow. <laughs> as a is that, where, is that where Roberto Carlos scored that ridiculous free kick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, I remember oh. that. See, Simpler is... times, 97. Oh, definitely. Noel's house fire was still going strong on Saturday nights. <laughs> that, that links it back to our last comments, because that's, that's the weird <laughs> thing about this show. We're talking about WCW, you know, three years, three short years after the, you know, the last podcast we did, talking about 1994, and, like, <clears throat> the wrestling world couldn't be any different. But it's nice to know that Noel was still on TV on... Uh, still a crack, a crash and Saturday Prime night. time, Saturday Prime night. Time. See, yeah. Still a main eventer. <laughs> hey, talking of Westworld, you know, do you know who's a big fan of Westworld? Talking of the 90s and Saturday nights. Who? Oh. <laughs> Jim Davidson. He was <laughs> tweeting about Westworld last week, I saw. Was he? <laughs> did you know what you were talking about, the movie, not the fucking no. TV? Can you imagine Jim Davidson watching that? Jesus. He asked if who'd been watching Westworld. Like, I, I, someone, <laughs> li- someone linked me to some typically jim davidson tweet that he made about like lefties or something and uh yeah i'd scrolled down a little bit and there was a tweet about westworld it was like davidson really like he probably just fancies fandy newton or something i imagine <laughs> i was i was gonna say i don't given the way that this third series is going i find it hard to believe he's getting what's going on i like really do think he'd be struggling he'd struggle with this series mm. he, surely he can't be watching that every week. Maybe he's just massively into like really good TV though. 
Maybe you should just high maintenance as well. I don't know. Like twin third se- that third series of Twin Peaks that was on Showtime. Maybe he was loving that. Can you see <laughs> Davidson having liberal views towards drugs, JP? I don't. I don't no. see that being in Davis's. Davis's He'd probably be watching house. High Maintenance, hoping the dealer gets arrested every week. <laughs> a, stop, a stop and search or something. I don't know what stop and search policy is like in New York. I'm not sure, but yeah. Because uh, it worked so well over here for years, didn't it? It is. Is that one of the people who plays GTA and cosplays as a policeman? Uh, or support the other side? <laughs> yeah. There's plenty of Jim Davidsons in WCW in 97 now, I think about it. <laughs> like, Piper in particular has got a bit of a Davidson vibe about him at this point, I think. <laughs> I can see that. What about, not Flair, no? Yeah, Flair, but Flair, Flair, we all know that Flair's got some fucking demons in his closet, but we just accept it, don't we? It's just like a thing, like, ah, Ric Flair, like... Twirling his cock around at a plane. Oh, go on, Rick. What a, <laughs> what a man. What a man. That is the uh, thing, Rick isn't Blair it? going out and buying drinks every night and getting drunk and not going home to his wife. Ah, oh, what a man. What a great man Rick is. <laughs> Rick Flair slagging off Paul Romer because he was a family man when he was in the horse with him. wasn't boozing him every night. Ah, oh, what a bad man Paul Romer is for, you know, caring about his family, being a being a one-woman sort of man. But now, nah, you know, he's not the, not the right fit for the horsemen because you've got to be... Uh, you got to be a man who likes to put it about a bit, and you got to be a man who likes to outdrink the other, has half hour sleep, and sweats out on the treadmill at 6 a.m. each morning, which is a story I've heard from him too many times now. <laughs> uh, speaking <laughs> of alpha males. Yeah, wasn't that an ESPN documentary as well? Where like they had like yeah, it was kind of a disappointment though, wasn't it? Yeah, but they had like the, the bit where they tell yeah. the story about him getting his cock out on like a plane or whatever, and it's like this cartoon Ric Flair getting his nut <laughs> out. And it's like yeah, it's like you know that's that. I'm pretty sure that's a sex offence. I'm pretty sure like if someone yep, did that today, no, you're getting cancelled. It, it is. <laughs> it very much is indecent <laughs> exposure. I think they call it. Oh fucking hell! When it's Ric Flair, apparently it's fine. Uh, he's hiding in plain sight. Basically, he's tried, found ways of justifying his behaviour as a laugh for years. Mm. So it's just been accepted as, ah, oh, Rick being Rick. What a laugh. Yeah, that's a different time. He's in the hotel lobby. He's just dressed in his robe and nothing else as well. I'm sure he did that on more than one occasion. I think oh. that's in Bret Hart's book. I think that was the time when Vince seemed by them all to fly a suite and they all pissed on his bed as well. Oh my god. As you do. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, as you do. Yeah, that's that's normal behaviour. Oh, it's a time and place, Martin. That's all it is. It's, uh... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, where we're, where we're all we around this time? Like, this is like what we're looking at today is like the peak for me of Nitro. If anything, I'd probably say it's 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 probably my favourite year of wrestling, at least mainstream wrestling, if you're talking like mainstream mm. American wrestling, because ECW hadn't gone to shit yet. WWF was starting to get a little bit hot again, and WCW was still riding like this this NWO angle. Like I, I feel kind of included in the conversation this time because last time you know JP, you and Martin are both you know in 1994 you were kind of watching, aware of, and watching WCW as it, as it was happening. I, I'm mm. pretty sure from like going back on Nitros, it was around 96 where I jumped in and started watching Nitro and kind of realised that it was actually on. Uh, that it was over on uh, on TNT when uh, when the car- when Cartoon Network ended and those bouncy letters bounced around and it turned into the TNT logo. Like I, I'm pretty sure I discovered it in '96. I've got a, I've got a weird memory of maybe seeing the Nitro leading into the Doomsday Cage with Z Gangster and 
the well-named final solution, speaking of things from the 90s that wouldn't, uh, wouldn't fly today. I'm pretty sure that's where I jumped on. So, yeah, by 1997, I was like, I've been a hardcore WWF fan, like my entire fandom from about 1990, 1991, right through. And, yeah, this was like right in, the, in probably the hot period of Nitro for me where I maybe I changed sides a little bit for a, a couple of years there. No, absolutely, Benno. I mean, certainly in mainstream American wrestling, it's hard to argue that this is one of the best periods in WCW and WWF. Mm. I mean, just both, just a, a great product. I mean, I know there was a load of shit going on as well, but when you just look at the good things that were going on in there, it's just fantastic. But I mean, uh, for me, I'd, I'd completely stopped watching in 95, because um, obviously it was all the cartoony stuff in WWF and WCW with the Dungeon of Doom, you know, completely yeah. did nothing for me. I mean, I know Joe mentions imagining your dad walking in on you and watching <laughs> and seeing you watching this, and that's how I felt about most sort of mainstream wrestling in 1995. I mean, still bought Power Slam religiously every month, but that was sort of like, sort of like 97, 98 was my last year at school, and it would have been social suicide to still admit you liked wrestling. Um, <laughs> but I don't know how I discovered it, but there was another lad in my school who liked wrestling, Thomas Simcox, you know. Shout out to Thomas there. Uh, he, he taped a few things from around 96 for me, like King of the Ring and Survivor Series, and then he also taped a lot of the night shows from 97. It took me a while to get a hold of the pay-per-views. I don't think I managed to watch um, a lot of the pay-per-views till a couple of years later, but I managed to watch like most of the, the Nitros, because my parents refused to get Sky because they didn't want to give Murdoch any money, and I hated them for it at the time, but obviously realised, you know, they were in the right there. But yeah, I used to have all these tapes of Nitros on uh, this kid had recorded me from school. Mm. What about you, JP? At this point in time, I would have been in my... I just finished my first year at university, and I was following it primarily in 97 online, until I moved into online uh, in 1987. Well, wow. you, yeah, there, there was the internet. Wow, I couldn't watch it online. You blew my mind here now, JP. But I would at. But the other thing I was able to do was able to um, get it taped. It was a bit difficult, but I, I was able to get um, it taped at home to be able to watch it. So I was able to set it on like a weekly timer mm. on a long play tape. Wasn't that unless your mum fucked it? That was the basically the condition was leave it alone. Literally, leave this alone. <laughs> Jeez, I hope not. Uh, <laughs> she, but like said said to her like leave this alone. All right, it's going on record. And then I was able to watch stuff on there. And then when I would go back, because occasionally I could go back on like a Sunday and then stay up for like a, a pay per view that would be on Sky um, for um, WWF. And if I was there, um, able to watch uh, WCW as well when they did the uh, replays of the pay-per-views. Was that, that was on the Saturdays, wasn't it, that they did that? This on DSF? DSF, yeah. Yeah, because I, I wasn't aware of it. Like that, That's a, a big like gap in my childhood because I was just... Watching, yeah. I was watching these Nitros, watching them all build to pay-per-views and never seeing the pay-per-views. Well, and I never had that friend who could tap me on. Even though I, I knew there was wrestling on DSF, as I mentioned on the last show, I was using the Teletech for stuff. I didn't realise they were they were kind of following a similar risk schedule to Nitro, like a, a few weeks. But I think I think the story was it was about a month behind, wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah. And it, it was. I think it was. So I was able to see a couple of those on the, on the Saturdays as well. Hmm. But it was... At that point in time, wrestling, well, within that 
year, sort of 97 to 98, wrestling then becoming sort of like really popular. And I can remember it becoming like popular on campus and people were quite regularly watching hmm. and, and following it around that point in time. But this was kind of just before that. I think it, it was like, it was much, it would have been, I'll say much bigger in America, but it would have been at that point in time because it would have been these sort of live shows and much bigger. But there was certainly like much more awareness of it. So, yeah, and I, I like all other things, I was like 18 years old and absolutely tearing it up. <laughs> didn't, um, didn't sort of like Sky Digital launch around this time as well? And that was like the end of DSF for like um, broadcasting in the UK as well. I think so, because oh. I, I had, an, I had well, Sky Analog at least until I would say 98, maybe. Um, mm. so I think it would be around now, though. Yeah, they started because when they originally did the switchover, I think you could still get analog for a while, couldn't you? I think that was, was like a like a crossover period or something. Um, yeah, does this yeah, also they did because my um, cousins had a had a dodgy Skybox, uh, so they got like everything. So they got like box office. So I remember getting like Insurrection and Rebellion tapes on there. Nice. Um, but they had like all the porn channels and stuff as well. So yeah, a few naughty videos going around there. But I remember I was definitely watching DSF around there because I'd watch Bundesliga highlights. I was around my aunties in the summer holidays quite a lot, and I'd watch Teenage Mutant uh, Ninja Turtles in German as well. Like a series <laughs> that didn't ever get. Uh, um, to get broadcast in the UK, so uh, that that was quite good fun. But that was up until I reckon about 2000 that they had that. Uh, wow, now that maybe is... even 2001. Now come to think of it, I'm just trying to think of the time my brother stole a porno tape off my uncle, <laughs> and I think I was about I was I was 14, so it would have been 2001. Yeah, that it was definitely still going. For me, like, I don't want to say wrestling and wrestling and porn. Uh, he's gonna ha- he's gonna hate me for dropping that one. By the way. <laughs> Sorry, oh, he's still though. got it though. <laughs> That's the question. Uh, me and him would like it would go missing from like one room, and we kind of had like a silent agreement where we, it was like acknowledged what was going on. But yeah, oh. but now my auntie had to ring up and ask if my uncle could have his porno back. Yeah, <laughs> it was a bit, a bit embarrassing. Well, I was going to say for me, like, like it links into my fandom because as a young, I was born in 84. So when I was like six, seven, eight, it was like, you know, cartoon characters and Hogan and Warrior and whatever. And then when I was like 12, 10 and 13, 14 is kind of this period, you know, 96, 97, 98, when you're getting, you know, a slightly more adult wrestling product. But like, I don't want to say wrestling and porn is forever linked in. Maybe it explains a lot about why I'm sat here doing a, a wrestling podcast when I'm 35. It's hardwired into my brain, but like, I was, it was With DSF. three other blokes. I know. It was DSF. <laughs> was it DSF that turned into like a, a, an adult channel late at night or they'd show like the uh, the dirty films or was that the other German channels that happened to just Pros start clicking across um, the... <laughs> Possibly a bit of both. Because the other I thing... I think these, the adverts were like the... The sex lines weren't they in between every WCW pay per view? That's it, because I can I yeah. distinctly remember watching a watching WCW or e, I think it was probably more likely an ECW show or something like that on a DSF and like going turning the telly off and going to bed. I mean, mum and dad coming in from a night out at the pub and turning the telly on, and yeah, there was porn playing on the screen. <laughs> And my mum literally came to a bedroom and dragged me out of bed and shouted at me for watching porn on the telly. And it was like, I was just, I was just watching wrestling, mum. That's all it was. Is this how you degrade women, Richard? <laughs> but, I've now figured out why JP was taping stuff on long play. To get the uh, <laughs> yeah. naughty stuff after the pay-per-view on him, mate. If 
record stuff after the pay-per-view. What can I do? It'd be rude not to watch it. But the other you could get six hours out of a three-hour play uh, tape on one play, couldn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. You could you could double your time and get six hours. Well, oh, mate, four-hour tapes. Good eight hours on there. Uh, Don't think I ever like had any four-hour ones. On the last of these flashback shows, um, saying about how Paul... Paul Brown was able to get these long play tapes with Clash Good of the Champions Paul. and Global. Oh, what a lad. Yeah. Great man. And, you know, a lot, lot of love then for long play long play tapes. Yeah, not the greatest quality, but <laughs> yeah, simpler times. Well, I used to, like, again, as a sneaky wrestling pod tired, we've definitely talked about it on Spotlight before that, like, after Raw, Sky Sports would turn into, was it the, the Playboy Channel at midnight on a Friday? So I used, to, I used to tape Raw knowing that I was at least going to get that five-minute preview at midnight. And, ho- and again, hope that my mum didn't turn the telly on because it, it was back in the days where I, let, I had Sky in my room, but all it was was like a dodgy wire like rooted up from, from the downstairs telly upstairs. So we were literally... It wasn't like I had a Skybox in my room. We were both watching the same channel and I'd have to convince my mum and dad downstairs to watch um, ITV or BBC or something so that I could watch whatever Sky channel was set downstairs. <laughs> and I used to always be terrified yeah from about 12 until 5 past 12 up my mum would turn the telly on and the, that Playboy freeview would be on is it just me with these these sex memories of all the 90s nah, mate, Euro trash I used to plug in a pair of headphones to the TV <laughs> and uh, in my parents house they've got you know those they don't do it anymore on houses but you've got like a door I mean you've almost got like a a window bit at the top of the door. Do you know that the sort of yeah. doors I mean? Mm. I used to have to put books. I remember putting a Transformers annual, <laughs> and a, sh- <laughs> and a shoot annual uh, with Gazza on the front. I was more of a regular ones that I would put over the over the little bit of window, so that if my mum come up, my dad wouldn't care. But it was always my mum I was watching out for. But I'd always have a tape recording Euro Trash as well. <laughs> what Channel Five as well was always a good one, but Fuzzy Pictures. Yeah, that's a, it was whether you could get a good signal on that one when, uh, when that launched. It sounds like we're just a bunch of young Ric Flairs here. <laughs> For me, it's an age thing. I'm, I'm gonna, I, know, I was turning 13 around thing. this time. That's the time, you know. <laughs> How old was Flair at this point? Okay. That, that, makes, that depresses me sometimes, you think that, but like sometimes you watch like these old shows, you'd be like, oh, like I was looking at Kurt Hennig on these nitros thinking, ah, oh, he must be like yeah. 45 and I'm sure he's about 39. And it's just like, God, I'm four years away from that. That's uh, no offense, JP. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> but it is like, well, it's bad to as we'll it. talk about, he doesn't look the greatest on this show, does he, Kurt no, Hennig? No, completely washed up by this point, weren't he, Kurt Hennig? And he looked like he just didn't give a fuck in everything. That's that's what's weird though, because like this this period of Nitro in my brain, and it's still now watching mm. it back, it feels I do the B do the BF does improve, you know, later in the year, and it's in the midst of it at this time. Canadian stampedes happening, you know, over on the uh, the other side of the world, at, you know, the week before this pay per view we're about to talk about. So they're on the way to kind of becoming the cool Attitude Era WWF, but like to me, Nitro is so much cooler. And then I go back and I watch that, and I watch some of these nitros, and yeah, with how, how they managed to do that with some of the early '90s and '80s names, they, they drag out. I'm not quite sure, uh, but it's still there is still something about it that's maybe it's a presentation thing. It, it looks kind of grayer and darker, and just feels edgier than Raw. Uh, at least at this point, you know, obviously Raw do uh, push the envelope later in the year. I don't know. Yeah, it it still managed to be extremely cool despite the fact you had like a, a podgy Kurt Hennig wandering out there uh, on a Nitro as if he was a big name in 1997 pace no, I think variety. Still... sorry Joe 
No, I was just going to say pace and variety. I think mm. that's what does it. Um, these nitros whip along mm. a fair old pace, and the segments are really well uh, presented, broken up, and there's just such a wide variety of styles on these as well. So you get your main eventers, obviously, and you get your stars, but then the undercard guys or put the work in but you'll get weird random matchups as well i think you get decent promo segments i like the way that they use mean gene out in the arena mm. um to kind of break up the show there's not loads of concentration on backstage stuff i just think they had the um sort of formula down to an absolute t of how to make a show exciting every week at this point sorry mm. mine no, it's all right. No, but i think i was completely brainwashed by wf at this point i mean it's weird because WWF still had sort of like Vince hamming it up on commentary and stuff, but yet at the time I was like, oh, you know, Bret Hart and stuff, that's that's the, the proper wrestling. I like watching the cruiserweights and everything on Nitro and Raven and Eddie and Chavo and things like that, but then I'd hate Piper, anything to do with Piper, Flair mm. and Hogan, because I thought them was yeah. washed up. And now like now I can appreciate the shows a, a lot better, sort of like it, um, with different eyes. Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's a lot of art. I think it's for for me. I think it's the music as well. I think the music made it cooler. I know you've got some notes on that, Martin. Um, like, and we don't get all of it on the network version of these shows, unfortunately. But like that that NWO theme, you know, hitting every five minutes. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Oh. I'm a big fan too, Joe. Uh, oh, I, I did like, with I do like the theme. I just one. don't want to wear it every five minutes. <laughs> oh, I do. I like <laughs> to I walk around my house sometimes with that song in my head, like doing an NWO style strut. Like oh. last week I went for a walk and I wore a cut off black faded denim jacket, uh, a black t-shirt, sunglasses. I had like black shorts on. I felt I felt the business in my sunglasses as well. Hot sunny day, and I was humming the NWO music while we <laughs> with my girlfriend, <laughs> thinking, "Yeah, I'm all right here. Like I'm looking good. Like I, I, there's something about that music and the strut that the wrestlers do to that that to yeah. me signifies and sums up a cool factor in yeah. wrestling. Even when Kevin Nash turns up on a Raw or something, now I'm like, "Yep, still got it." <laughs> it's yeah, very... it was 98 where Nash and Luger started turning up with all the FUBU gear, didn't they? They yeah, weren't quite at that point. Yeah. Yeah. With the Wolfpack rap theme instead. Uh, yeah, yeah but, but it's like, it's very porno, the NWO theme as well, to kind of tie into what we were talking about before. Yeah. It does sound like porno background music. That and the NWO B-team theme, which, I don't know, ah. would you say, would you? what would you put on? I, I'd almost put it above the original theme. I know it was the Jobber theme. And I know, like the you know the main event guys come out to the proper one, and then the Japan guys and the other lower card. I think X Pac kicked off once, didn't he? Six because they uh, they they played the NWO B team uh, song for him. And he was uh, he, he was absolutely fuming. He's like, don't don't play that song for me. That's the Jobber music. To me, the Jobber music was actually maybe even slightly better than the main NWO theme. I don't know if that's a controversial take, Joe. Nah, but for me, it's the main NWO theme. That's always the one that absolutely All wins. Of them the- both but i do love the b team one as well mm. i also love the order on the b team one mm. it's great oh yeah those those voice inserts like it gets silly where there's one literally every five seconds by like the end of 1997 but like it is brilliant like the bischoff sound clips and savage uh i made up that that that's one of the like the songs that did make it through wwe's copyright ringer like ddp's one is a real shame. I mean, quite clearly, mm. it was a, it was always a Nirvana ripoff. Like it was so close yeah. that there was no way you could get away with putting that on the network. But I think I actually think the version they replace it with it's actually 
it's, I kind of like it now. After watching like three or four nitros, it's in a not row, too it's dissimilar, to it. is it? Yeah, it's got like there's a bit in it, isn't it? That's got like that same kind of break as a. Uh, as the Nirvana ripoff does. No, it is good. I like it. And it's Jericho's music's another good one. I couldn't tell whether that was his oh, real music or that was... It's Pearl Jam, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the, like Pearl Jam ripoff. But on some of the WCW ones, they just straight up replace it with his uh, Break the Walls Down one. I hate oh, that. Oh, really? I hate that. Yeah, I've heard... It's like the 98-99 Nitro... 98-Nitros, because mm. he leaves in 98, uh. doesn't he? Yeah, they... Unless they've replaced it since, Martin, but I know what you mean, because when I first started watching the old Nitros on the network, him coming out to Break the Walls Down as a proper like it just breaks the, the the fourth wall kind of thing it just takes you out of the yeah, moment it's too much it's wrong the it's one like... he's... sorry then i no go on with no the one he's coming out to here have you ever read his story in his book about the music I vaguely remember it so he he said he hated the music personally i love the music me too uh, <laughs> i find it hilarious and he said he was uh, back at a hotel after a nitro taping one night and he was watching espn and some basketball highlights came on and his entrance music was playing <laughs> over the top of these basketball <laughs> highlights oh. so it was just some stock music and which he just referred to him as like basketball highlights 11 or something that they just found for him and just shoved together you've just reminded oh. me that like i used to my mum used to watch like five o'clock every night she'd watch ricky lake and ricky lake you know when they, they bring people out they'd use entrance music they used to always use Dean malenko's theme and i think occasionally <laughs> occasionally ray mysterious as well which is just brilliant it's like when his theme just didn't suit him at all did it no it was like kind of dark kind of yeah and it's da, like it's like da, psychosis da, one da, da, da. Oh, I love Psychosis theme. That's oh, that was one I forgot about, but it's I awesome. It. But you can tell they've made that for a Japanese wrestler. It's got like those you know typical kind of mm. what they quote unquote Japanese music sounds in it, and they're just like, ah, go ahead, you have it, Psychosis. Because if you watch <laughs> some of like these early nitros, you, it, you get it's like someone presses random on the music, like you get random you know uh, Mexican jobbers coming out to Eddie Guerrero's song, uh, Dean Malenko's song gets reused by different people. Like at that point, there was no real quality control. And everyone just got whatever they were given. Yeah, yeah. I, I love it. It sounds like stock music to me. And it's funny because we were talking about that great ravishing Rick Rude theme. I think that and the Sting theme, and maybe the NWO one, are the only good themes WCW ever. I mean, that Horseman one is fucking dreadful. I mean, no. No. Right, you're off this podcast, <laughs> Martin. You're done. Theme you're done. <laughs> Get back to BWE. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I fucking love that song. Oh my God. It's an epic. <laughs> oh. Mine, oh, I, 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 fuck that awesome one's awful. Oh, oh, no. right. oh, I used to hum that one to myself. I, I love that in 96, and I still love it now. It's got, the, the, again, that weird kind of Japanese sound of, like, is it like a piano? Do you remember the second version they did of it a bit later on as well? It's got an even more epic guitar line. No. I think I do. There's another version of it that uh, JP put on in a work group chat yesterday, which <laughs> oh, is something right. that only I was going to understand. And uh, oh, it's awesome. And also once, so a mate of mine knows nothing about wrestling at all, no idea, thinks it's a lot of shit. Uh, when I lived in a shared house, turned up at my bedroom door, bust him when I was listening to the Four Horsemen theme song. I was just like, <laughs> what is this? This is awesome. <laughs> 
He absolutely loves the Four Horsemen theme tune. So like, if I'm together with that group of my mates, sometimes this podcast will come up and it'll be like, oh, wrestling podcast, ha ha. And he'll always bring up, ah, oh, the Four Horsemen theme. Like, yep. So his basic memory and understanding the rest of the violent Four Horsemen theme, which he's told me is on a YouTube playlist, which he just sticks on while he's doing some work. So he's, he's listening to it on the reg. So that Amazing. Horseman theme tune, Martin, don't be doing it down, mate. Uh, it is an do you like the one that's like from somebody? Oh, man. Do you like the one that follows it? The one with like the horses neighing at the start? And it's like a slightly like upbeat version of this song? Uh, yeah, it's slightly better. Oh, oh my god. Well, I don't like Kidman's theme though, which is probably as generic as they come, but I don't know why at the time I used to, used to love Kidman's oh. theme. Well, after he's left Raven's flock, obviously. Oh, that's a good one. Eddie Guerrero's one's a good one, I reckon. The, uh, oh, that's a classic. Plays like a good, like, you know, sneaky kind of heel, heel song. Uh, I think that was my ringtone a few years. Uh, like when people were still having ringtones, I think Eddie Guerrero's was mine for a little bit. W- um, Sounds a bit like the Oz theme. Song. It does. And then Charvo had it in WWE. The Oz theme. I thought, did we compare it to the Oz theme on here years ago when we oh, first yes. started doing this podcast? I think maybe, we did. Maybe, yeah. Uh, maybe that's where I got it from. Yeah, I love that. I, 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 to be honest, like as much as a lot of it's stock music, I think part of it is, though, once your favorite wrestlers keep coming out to it, it becomes their theme, doesn't it? And it kind of gets imprinted. I think for me, a lot of it's nostalgia as well. It gets imprinted in your brain from like this period and you associate it to people. Like the thing I hated was when they just didn't bother giving entrance music to people. Like Adoosh mm. do it all the time. Like Sandman was the same when he got there. Like the likes of Roadblock and the other jobbers that come out to no theme. Giant comes out to ab- abject silence. Like I always hated that. Like, come on, just give him a yeah. theme. Like give him a stereo's theme or something. Give him something. Uh, that Even was Lex Luger's theme oh, I like as well, actually. I was, I, was in, um, I was in Tesco's today and had Lex Luger's theme going around my head. You know, <laughs> this I've had like a mix of the Horseman song, the NWO song, and Luger's theme going through my head all week. It's been a great week for getting stuff stuck in the head, honestly. <laughs> With the UV theme, I think, was quite memorable. That sort of like real sort of, it sounded like it was from some sort of like cowboy and Indian film. Uh, who's the Yubi Guerrero? Oh, Hooventus. Yeah, that, that yeah. was one. Yeah, that was a good one. I was like, Hoovy. Hoovy was good. Uh, I was a fan of that. Uh, I don't know. I, I still haven't recovered from you not liking the, the Horseman song, but. We'll, yeah, sorry. We'll yeah. Get, sorry we'll yeah, I apologise. <laughs> Never getting another invite to come on here again. <laughs> it's probably Mate, just there is n- nothing better than Steve Mongo McMichael <laughs> coming out of that ring. I thought you were just going to end it there, then. <laughs> <laughs> There really is nothing better than him. He's the best uh, football player to wrestler ever, in my opinion. But when that camera pans round to him, you see that ponytail, you see the back of that jacket. He looks at the camera in that southern accent. He blurts something and then says, baby, every single (laughs) time. Down that camera as that music's playing. Love it. Nothing better in wrestling in 1997 than that, if you ask me. I honestly think that might be one of the reasons I love the music as well, is because you get these like like close-ups on the wrestlers as they're walking to the ring, and they're just looking down the camera talking shit. So, so often you'll get like Kevin Nash talking shit to the camera, or you'll get a Michael Buffer announcement on a pay-per-view, and Michael Buffer's announcements during this era, for my money, we were talking about the Fink class, week mm. i'm a buffer man through and through mm. when he's talking about um lex luger's world famous rack <laughs> the torture rack of doom like, I'm, not, I'm not sure he realized what he was saying there oh, i'm no sure clue. you know his brother would uh, uh, uh bruce buffer would probably be right on that it doesn't he do like a sex podcast or something he's, he's a um, maniac 
I'm sure I've heard that before. But yeah, Michael Buffer's uh, calls here are some of my favourites ever, I think. Yeah, the amount of script he has to go through <laughs> in the ring is ridiculous, isn't it? But now I really want to see Bruce Buffer doing that spin in the ring. You're just going, Lex Luger's right! <laughs> that was the thing about Buffer as well. Like, they'd get him on these nitros, but they'd book him like, well ahead of time, wouldn't they? And then he'd turn up and like the main event would be like like public enemy in a tag or something you know what I mean they never yeah. they never always, well, a lot of you know they plan ahead sometimes but a lot of the times like he'd come out and it'd just be like oh fuck Buffer's here like that's typical just disorganised WCW at this point oh that think- one after Bash at the Beach the Nitro after Bash at the Beach when they get him out at the start to uh, introduce uh, the debut of the Nitro girls that must be like a <laughs> yeah. high for him uh, he's just like pay me and I'll, I'll say whatever you want yeah. <laughs> pull a string and be back <laughs> It honestly feels like this show is where things start to go really off the rails. You reckon? Like, uh, at that point. Well, it's probably all happening beforehand. You can see all the signs, can't you, of what where everything started to go wrong. I think, though, even when it was good, it was off the rails. I think that was kind of what Nitro oh, was. Oh, yeah. That's part of the appeal, isn't it? Mm. That's why it was so much more fun, is it? You see, I, I, was, I was a WCW fan, and this wasn't Vince, and it wasn't like the cartoonish wrestling, although... At that point in time, you could recognise that that Raw was that they were doing some really good stuff mm. in WWE. Like at, at one point in time, liking them more really than at any other at any other time, just because it was new and it was different and it wasn't stale and wasn't Vince and mm. wasn't aimed at families. And you spoke about it earlier on. This just had like it's it's a mess, but at times it's a glorious mess. It's like I, I, I don't want to compare it to Apocalypse Now. Or something like that. <laughs> but there are moments of genius. And then there's just stuff where you just go, you boys are off the fucking reservation here <laughs> doing some really self-indulgent bullshit. Heaven's but Gate, I, mate. The deer well, It ultimately turned into Heaven's Gate. But at that point in time, it was making money. Mm. So it's just like a mess that makes money. It's yeah. weird because I do I, th- I do think you can see there's lots of issues bubbling under, but I do feel like they had a lot of storylines building just specifically mm. in this time period. Some of you know some of '97, you know, you had DDP Savage, you had Eddie and Chavo, um, you know, they were building Sting and Hogan. Then you had all these teasers of Raven in the crowd, and then obviously they did a fantastic job of building Luger up and uh, getting that. Uh, torture rack over so you know as much as there were issues um you know taking this period in isolation i think they had a lot of of good stuff going on yeah the the observer mentions that like during this period i don't know how long it went on for i don't know if you read it jp but like kevin sullivan was always the the, the booker wasn't he around this time yeah terry taylor had taken over temporarily and i was wondering whether it was that the fact that terry taylor was there and that the observer outright said it like the wrestlers were saying it was much less chaotic backstage still chaotic i imagine but less chaotic and everyone kind of knew what they were doing i wonder whether it was all uh terry taylor put you know putting some sense on it uh and making making some sense out of some of the the, the messiness that wcw had been because some of gets the book back though doesn't he but mm. do you know when that is because i don't know how long this taylor run goes on for I, I assumed like and we'll get into the pay-per-view and losing on the pay-per-view was you know for him to take a job backstage full t- full time but i haven't got that far in the observer yet so i'm not 100 mm. percent. don't know if you know jp I'm not quite sure. I know, obviously, by December and by Starcade, things are a mess. Mm. And I wonder at times whether or not partly signing of Bret Hart was such a mess in terms of how they brought it in. You just had too much. It It was like, too much. It was like, it was. Yeah. That's the thing about this Nitro era. Loads of it is great. 
but it's a lot of great kind of like it's like uh, did they have room to bring Bret Hart in it was like just piling on great wrestlers on top of great wrestlers it was the original yeah. you know hoarding at least they were using on the Montelli though uh, compared to what WWE do these days it's like I was going to bring that up later but they didn't need Bret did they and out of the no. two Sean would have fitted in way better than Bret because you still had the whole Sting thing going on into 98 after Starcade and things like that and they just seemed to be they just fetched Bret in just for the sake of fetching him in and just didn't have anything for him and it just feels like if one of those two was to leave WWE Sean was like yeah. it would have fit in perfectly with like Nash and everybody yeah Bret's style is not made for this era WCW at mm. all like a lot of these segments on Nitros are fast they're alert they're to the point i think brett art was always a man who thrived with with time and being able to indulge a little bit and he always did did decent with the time i think but you think of the sort of really focused story-based matches that brett hart would always have and let's be honest here as fun as a lot of this stuff is as much as i love it there's not a lot of focus story-based stuff sort mm. of matchups like it's really who would have been motivated to work with brett and do that at this point in time mm. and uh, some of the undercard guys like a Benoit a Jericho a Malenko absolutely sure of it but in that main event these guys were kind of hitting their spots using their charisma and star power to get over in these main events but there wasn't really any great stories told in these main events so yeah I just don't know why how Brett ever looked at that landscape and thought oh that's a place I'll fit right in like clearly felt like it was a yeah it was leaving for the money i don't blame him at that point in time when his career's winding down but yeah they never knew how to adapt to use him it just carried on as more of the same and what i found really interesting watching this show is you're watching say the likes of luger in a main event and you're thinking luger is not cool like no. I've, I've never understood luger like i wasn't i sort of vaguely remember lex luger from when i was a kid but i don't really remember matches i remember him and yokozuna a little bit but i don't remember liking lex luger and then when i started sort of watching older wrestling again in sort of 2001 two-ish i remember thinking yeah lex luger shit watching him here like he's okay but he's not cool and you look at just maybe even a year later when you've got austin at the kind of the height of his power and you think about austin at the height of his power in 98 and lex luger and think about where both of them are and you just think why would anyone want to cheer for say alex luger when you've got austin on the other channel it feels like they're sort of clutching at straws of the likes of him and big show oh, as yeah. two of their kind of babyface main oh, eventers yeah. here if anything and it feels like they're getting they they're sort of getting as much as they can out of these stars but and while their star feels like it's huge their actual ability in the ring isn't there like Savage had the great feud with DDP. After that, what else is Savage doing? Kurt Hennig gets brought in here. I always thought Kurt Hennig was massively overrated anyway, if I'm honest with you. I never got the hype. Here, he's completely broken down. Hogan's a lazy fucker. Gets by on his charisma. Nash hey, is he's the workhorse in that fucking <laughs> oh, hey. so Nash nice. is the greatest man of all time and got the, <laughs> got the most out of very little. Fair play to him. Hall's pretty lazy at this point as well. So it feels like they maybe should have adapted around Brett, but no one was going to do it when they had guaranteed money and they were allowed to do what the fuck they wanted to at this point. So yeah. there's a sort of element of hubris, I think, that just takes over. Yeah. Do you not think that Luger's in that main event because Hogan wants to work with him and there's a comfort zone of that Luger will work 
soft and it'll be an e- relatively easy, straightforward match. And he'll be able to direct him. And that's kind of much more of a Hogan doing. Maybe. But like, I think about a lot of it for me is just... Like, you're completely right in what you're saying, Joe. Because I, I was watch- watching this at the time. Like... As much as much as I thought this was the cool TV show, it wasn't because of those guys. It was like the mm-hmm. a big part of why I think WCW knows dives is because quite clearly the coolest part of these shows is the NWO. Like quite oh, clearly, absolutely. the WCW guys, like even at the time, living it at the time, I thought they were bland as fucking dishwater. Your Lugers, your Giants, DDP is the obvious exception. But a lot of like the babyface side, you, you, even your Roddy Pipers, your Ric Flairs, even at this point, I just thought it was just it was just so white meat and uncool. And it, obviously, yeah. yeah, Nash and Hall weren't putting a lot of effort in in ring, but they were the you know the cool factor around the NWO. Hogan kind of you know being Hogan got himself involved with all that and you know put himself at the top of all that. And don't get me wrong, he's not a reason why the NWO is cool, but the overall faction is cool. And that and and I think the problem. Problem is that faction is so cool. WCW on reflection, even as a kid, even as a twelve-year-old, apart from Sting, who I fucking loved, I wanted the NWO to win because the NWO were the cool guys, and WCW was still felt like these bland kind of not hillbillies, but you know what I mean, like my warped. And I imagine you might have came in with a different perspective, JP, but my warped WWF fan. perception was yeah all these nwo guys are cool yeah i like some of these cruiserweights but wcw itself is still the uncool brand i can see what you mean i don't think it it didn't feel particularly i i can agree with you to a certain extent i think where wwf had been coming from particularly around sort of 95 and how it was pitched towards kids and everything else was kind of that was so much of a turn off for me. And I can see like why you would think this is, is the uncool brand. Yeah. And this is a 13 year old versus what? Yeah. 19 at and, the time. But, for, and, and like you at that point in time, I, I was kind of getting, I was smarter mm. um, certainly. And was sort of able to see sort of the, like the online discourse by that point and sort of into, into power slam and the like, so keeping really up to date with it. I think it, it, it just, I don't know what it is. Maybe it just comes back to the fact that it was like a glorious mess, maybe, and that seemed somewhat cooler um, overall. But I could, like, like I said before, all of the problems that were there, like, are kind of quite obvious. But it's easy with the benefit of hindsight to say that because what they're doing as well is it's, it's like Joe said, it's that natural charisma that a lot of them have to be able to get reactions from a crowd that were fucking hot. At uh, points during this as well. Sorry, I rambled there, Ben. I no, I, I agree with JP. It is just a big hot mess, but it's a it's fun, and you and you can't argue with them doing this because they're thrashing WWF in the ratings. They're making tons of money. Mm. I mean, Uncensored did a bigger buy rate than WrestleMania 13. You know, and did the it? reactions wow. they're getting from the crowd, the merch sales, everything can. And, you know, it's, it's like you say, in hindsight, it's okay to say, oh, well, they should have seen that this was going to go off the rails. But in 98, they're doing even bigger numbers mm. and making even more money. Isn't that the big profitability year is 98? Is that the 60 million profit? Yeah. It's a bit like WDB, though, isn't it? Like, they were making... It was towards the end of the Attitude Era when the big money started to come in. There's always a delay in these things, isn't it? It's almost like mm. the reputation of how good it was in 97 carried through to 98 in the mega business, and then by the end of 98, everyone kind of cottoned on, ah, this isn't very good anymore. Uh, it's strange I did want to... Sorry, Joe. 
No, it's it's odd though, odd though, because you watch it here, and you sort of think that's that sort of main event scene. DDP sort of broken into it, but DDP, how old was DDP at this point? Like forty. Yeah. So mm. he wasn't going to be there really as a main event a long term, and he was getting on a little bit anyway. But then who else it was there that felt like they were bubbling under beneath who was going to break through into that kind of yeah. scene? And it is. It is interesting that they felt like there was no one being prepped and it was just trying to give pushes to established guys. Like the big show shouldn't have been at this mm. point here. Like he, he was, I think the big show is one of the worst wrestlers ever. Oh, That's wow. a controversial, controversial take. I know, but I think he's boring as fuck. I've rarely seen him have a good match and he's one of the most inconsistent wrestlers ever. And I think for his size, he wasn't protected by WWE, but here he's shit. Like he's, he shouldn't be at this point in his career. He's he doesn't have to do a lot in the ring because they don't do a lot in these matches, so he can kind of get away with it. But he doesn't feel hot. He doesn't feel like he's massively over, and it is just sort of luger again. And yeah, it just feels like it was sort of impenetrable that main event scene at this point in time. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting in the nitros and the build up to it, the way they had like, um, I thought that having Raven like being mentioned around it because that's probably the only time like when they have him jump the rail i think it's a couple of nitros before the pay-per-view mm. for who's going to be ddp's partner he's which is obviously what and he's in the mix and i'm just there thinking he would have been very fascinating for that point in time in 97 having a character that's much more kind of on the zeitgeist having generally a size and look that could have worked around it now obviously there's no way they would have let him anywhere near the main event scene but it's that it's at those points in times that you know some if they'd had that real plan about what they were going to do in the future they would have perhaps tried to prep him. They would have. Perhaps- Bischoff's been on record that he didn't. He never got the character as well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It, it's it's funny, isn't it? I mean, for the way and then what happens is they tie it in with the Stevie Richards stuff, and it just sort of becomes it's like going back in time, isn't it? Yeah, it becomes nonsense, and then he becomes upper mid cards, and he's a gatekeeper for what his best role as a gatekeeper for Goldberg. Yeah, your best case scenario, like some being someone like Raven, Benoit, Jericho, Guerrero, any of those guys, US title was kind of the ceiling, wasn't it? That's what you were. If you if you got there, you probably had a good run uh, in this kind of WCW period. Uh, I'm trying to think of guys who broke through. And it was kind of, maybe Booker T, but it took a few years as well, and he was never. And that a top was after guy. the after the boom, really. Yeah. Stein got there, but yeah. it was kind of yeah, Stein. Ninety nine. It was kind of too late, really, mm. when it started happening. And they you should think be doing Stein- Rick, uh, Scott Steiner here, shouldn't they? And oh, I love Steiners, but at this point, as a team, like they kind of just seem like they're half ass in it. Yeah, and it felt like Scott Steiner should have been getting a push and being built, kind of a year or two before this even at this mm. point in time. But watching it as well, with you mentioned the Raven thing, JP, I was thinking I was making a few AEW comparisons when watching it and things that AEW have clearly taken from this sort of era, WCW. And I really think they've taken the idea of Raven with Darby Allen and they've tried to use him as a similar sort of character, but push him in a slightly different way. So he does look like long-term he can sort of get into that main event scene Mm. He's got a character that JP said about the sort of cultural zeitgeist that does kind of appeal somewhat to a wrestling fan and maybe what they might be like and that sort of creative side. So I just wonder whether they've taken the framework or what they did with Raven here, but you've got some guys in charge who are a lot more kind of in touch with, say, I don't know, like counterculture and understand how to push them as a result of that. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I can see yeah, the comparison. I can see, yeah, I can definitely see the comparison, but but booked right. Mm. Some of these all over both WWF and WCW at this point and is going completely over the fans' head is all these work shoots that they're doing all the time. I mean, I, I hated him at the time, but Shawn Michaels, watching them back now, I'm absolutely laughing my head off just Shawn in his pilled-up fucking pomp. And then you've got Piper <laughs> and Flair doing all these confusing sort of like shoot promos and Kevin Nash Whoa. and all that. And it's just completely going over the fan's head all the time, I think. Yeah. I watched um, Shawn Michaels and Diesel from you know uh, Nash's last WWF show the year before, Good Friends, Better Enemies. I watched it this week. And at the end of the match, Shawn Michaels is shouting at the camera, you want a big boy to play with? Well, I'm your big boy. And doing like Hogan poses. And I'm thinking like, at the time when I was 12, I had no idea what he was going on about with with big boys and, and throwing in all like these these shoot references yeah there's a lot of that in this period a lot of play into maybe the dare cheats like flair in in that promo with piper where he says something about he's carried what 200 people or something like that it's like in kayfabe what do you mean you've carried people what does that mean mm. like, it doesn't make any sense there's a lot of them too i was going to get into like highlights and lowlights of the shows over the weeks but there's a there's a fucking lot of uh of piper and flair uh and for no good no oh. reason i'll uh i'll throw it to you here joe what did you make <laughs> was that a highlight for you over the these uh these few weeks of nitro lead up to the pay so why is it you're thrown to me on this one ben <laughs> i feel like you just might have some opinions on uh on one of the two men <laughs> so <clears throat> and yeah so years ago, so i didn't watch this during the period at all like <clears throat> at this point i hadn't seen wrestling for years i would have been a 10 year old uh really i didn't see any wcw from this sort of period until i reckon let's try to work it out <clears throat> sorry i reckon 2002 so there was a mate of mine at school and by the time of wrestlemania 18 uh, whereas everyone at school been watching, you know, the last couple of WrestleManias, by 18, it was just me and him who were the last men standing watching wrestling. And he had Sky, so he would give me loads of old tapes that he had going back years. And he used to record WCW. And I remember he gave me a tape that was this TNT uh, Hulk Hogan night or something. So they did like a Hulk Hogan night from like 95 through to like 97. No, it was up to 96, Sherman, he turned heel. And it ended with the heel turn i remember being like fascinated by that and then uh getting some other stuff of him as well and then seeing like piper at this point briefly i think i saw you know the was it starcade 96 they did hogan piper and it's absolute shit is that is that right what i'm thinking there yeah it's not age in the cage because age in the cage is 97 isn't it so is it like this great match yeah, three times Starcade '96, Super Brawl Seven, and then Halloween Havoc '97. Mm. Right, because I remember seeing one of the matches on these tapes, where it was like highlights of it. I remember just thinking, "This is fucking shit." And then not seeing any for years. And like through the years, I saw loads of WCW stuff that I'd download when that became an option. And I'd pick stuff up here and there where I could. But around, I want to say 2011-12, I started watching every single Nitro from 1997. So they were all on YouTube. This is pre-network. And I'd I'd watch them while I was just doing stuff around the house. Or I'd have them on in the background. They're so easy to watch. So Mm. it'd be like how I have a podcast podcast on now and i'd just be basically walking around the house on my laptop if anything and i remember piper dominating these fucking shows <laughs> just annoying and me so fucking much like i one i hate his music he's not fucking scottish <laughs> <laughs> 
it's like someone had been transported from 1984 yeah. to WCW at this point. At least the likes of Hogan had made a change at this point. At least Flair, yeah, he was past it, but he was still kind of entertaining at times at this point. Piper has made no effort here at all. And he's basically a broken down, washed up version of what he was in the 80s in 1997. And these promo segments they seem to do every week for a certain period in 97 with Piper and Flair. They're they're so bad that they're kind of brilliant in a way. Like I think I hated them at first but then kind of started to appreciate just how bad they they are. So there's one where they're with Mean Gene and a lot of women. And then they're like, I think, I think Nancy is one of them, Nancy Sullivan or Nancy Benoit. Mm. And then they plan some like big night out where they're going to go and like pop bottles with Mean Gene and these ladies. <laughs> and I'm watching it thinking, you lads are like my dad, possibly my dad's age at that point. I would have been watching it. Like, you're way too old to be doing this. It's kind of tragic. And then there was another one at another point where um, I remember him just having an argument about nothing in particular and you couldn't work out what they were talking about and it feels like they come out there every week not really having a clue what they're going to just they're going to say and just riff it so you get flair every week with the mean gene and then he just talks shit like rick flair was entertained at this point but to say he was a great promo at this point is kind of giving him credit based on reputation because he's just babbling utter shit week after week and i think they think they've got great chemistry together but they're kind of just talking shit with one another every single week and there's this other week as well where piper has some segment where he beats up like four or five job guys and what that is, is the worst one by far is it reigns it's just him just being completely self-indulgent it goes on forever and he picks like John Tenter and people like that, don't he? And he, yeah. for God knows whatever reason, and they're going to be his team for uncensored until they change it to the Horsemen. Yeah, absolutely awful, but kind of hilarious as well. <laughs> but it sort of shows you how much freedom and leeway they gave to people based on reputation. Because what business did Roddy Piper have been in a wrestling ring in 1997? He was utter shit. And just coasting purely on reputation. Yeah, really bad. But yeah, I get some sort of like weird, almost perverse entertainment from watching just how bad he is at this point. Big buy rate, though, didn't it? That's what I mean. I think that's why they kept fetching him back. He was doing the numbers, wasn't he? Yeah. That's the weird thing, as awful as he was. You see how the crowd are in the match he has with Flair and that one. And you're just thinking, Christ, do you lot cheer anything? Yeah, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure the the age in the cage show, like as much as it gets maligned, it's that Halloween Havoc, did you say before, Martin, 97? Like, yeah, that does, yeah, a, yeah. That does a silly buy rate for the time. Like, I, think mm-hmm. I, I remember reading Melter saying it was one of the highest rated shows of that period. Yeah, it's weird. Do, you, do you want to know how old he is at this time, by the way, Joe, just to like put it into context? 43. Um, 43? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> like, Flair, Flair's like 48. Ancient. He does. He feels like he's from it. Like you said, he feels like he's he stepped out of the 1980s. Because don't forget the year before he was the WWF commissioner. He was like this retired old wrestler who was getting in between Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon and, you know, setting up the, the Shawn and Brett match. And he was like, to me, he was like, oh, yeah, remember Roddy Piper from when I was younger? Well, he's like, he's not a wrestler anymore. He's basically Gorilla Monsoon. And then WCW signed him and just put him right back in the ring. Um, but I suppose those buy rights maybe tell a story. 
is the one he did it. Like, no, he's been, he'd been at WrestleMania, hadn't he? And had that match with Goldust because oh, he course, has a Paul double Holly promo because obviously WF's mocking the fact that he's like had a hip replacement or something. And he does some waffly promo about like, oh, well, I might only have one hit, but I only had one hit when I was in WF beating Goldust last year or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because that was it. He was the commissioner and kind of came out of, uh, you know, and had a match, got dragged into a match by Goldust. I think that was the story. But yeah, mm-hmm. he loves throwing little references in like that. There's a, like you said earlier, Joe, there's some fucking, I didn't pick Kimmich Albert at the time. I just, I was kind of sitting there like on my, on my laptop or doing something else and kind of had this on in the background. I just there Piper making Conair reference and then I had to make another reference and I was like oh oh I know where this promo is going like he's just trying his Dante's best Dante's like, Peak oh Dante's Peak was my favorite have you seen Dante's Peak oh yeah, yeah. that and Volcano <laughs> oh yeah Dante's that used to be Peak some sort of white. weird weird thing at the time wasn't it you'd have dueling films around the same topic Armageddon and Deep Impact was it as well Deep Impact yeah oh yeah yeah but yeah, just trying his best to kind of sound cool, but just yeah, rambling all the same. Like yeah, I thought they were a big part of these nitros. I thought uh, I did think a lot. Again, you know, rightfully we will say WCW didn't do a great job of building guys up. But as far as the job they did with DDP, like compared yeah. to where he was a couple of years before this, you know, when he won Battle Bowl and he was just a random heel with a with a cigar in his mouth, DDP is so cool on these nitros. He is like he's the people's champion. He claims he is, isn't he, JP? Yeah, considering the last show we did, how big he was in that opener against Johnny B. Bad oh my God, in 94 yeah, at Spring Stampede <laughs> and where he is now in this. That could have been 10 just years a, Yeah, the absolute, he's just a different person by this point. And he's mm. kind of, they they kind of added a what was like a blue collar edge to it all, wasn't it? That was always mm. something they would push on the commentary about how, how big he is. I'll say in the build up to this, I love that Leparka. Oh, like yeah. him dressing up as Leparka because I honestly didn't see it angles. coming at the time, and I was like, "Oh, it's fucking awesome." <laughs> I reckon at the time I didn't see it coming, and I loved it. But watching it back when he comes out, like yeah, he's not walking like Leparka, and he tries to do a strut, doesn't he, in the Leparka yeah. outfit? And it's like, I wonder if I'd have been a bit like older or smarter at the time whether I would have worked it out. Saying that though, I don't think any of the crowd do. I don't think no, they no, they are completely like kind of oblivious to it. Mm. I think I think for that much they just assume it's like another it's a squash match and for TV. Oh. But I lo- I love that angle. The, the best part about it is like you know if anyone hasn't seen it it's the, it's the angle where uh, he's trying to get to the NWO and La Parker quote unquote has a match with Savage and like they do this like whole match don't they where like Savage is just doing arm drags and like taking his time with quote-unquote La Parker, uh, and then all of a sudden he pulls out a diamond cut and rips off the mask and it's DDP, and the pop is incredible, and not just that, yeah. the favourite part of the whole angle is Scott Hall, who's come out with Savage, and he's over at the oh, med- yeah. he's over at the commentary yeah. desk, isn't he, kind of winding up Zabisco, so when he went like the, the crowd cheer, he thinks Macho Man's won, so he starts walking back to the ring, <laughs> celebrating as if they've won, and then like you just see it slowly dawn on his face, he realises, storms the ring, Picks up the Leparka mask off the uh, the floor in the ring, and like the, you can see the gears working in his brain. Scott Hall was so great at selling that angle, and uh, DDP's up in meanwhile up in the crowd throwing the diamond cutter sign out. Like what that and the angle where DDP doesn't join the NWO when Nash and Hall offer him the T-shirts and he yeah. diamond cutters them. Yeah. Then. I think they're two of the best Nitro angles ever. No, definitely, and I think Savage and like you no, know, they're like um, Hall and Nash. I think because because. 
you know, as much as he was as DDP was like big mates with Eric Bischoff, and that obviously played a part in it. But I feel like they they all got on with him backstage, so they were willing to actually, you know, do the work to get him over like this. Mm. Yeah, that's it. I think he had that being Bischoff's neighbour kind of helped them, and being National Hall's mate probably helped them too. But they were mates going back to when none of them were getting a push in WCW the first time round, weren't they? So mm. I think there was that element of it that they sort of wanted to do something for him possibly as well that kind of helped him to some extent you've just reminded me of that terrible razor ramona larry's abisco uh, sorry scott hall larry's abisco angle as well yeah (laughs) oh larry's abisco is so bad he's a boring cunt i love tony shivani terrible wrestler like i think heenan's past at this point but zabisco is why is he there like the smartest man in the room he's there to get himself over He's there to tell everyone how smart he is and how he sees the mm. angle coming and to interrupt every NWO angle and call him the new world older. That never gets old, that at all. He stalls on his commentary as well as his matches. <laughs> he just stalls. <laughs> he spends his entire time not really saying or doing anything. Mexican jumping beans there. He's fucking... He's working against oh. the product, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's Yeah, he's one of those things. I, I mean, I, I was quite... Um, when the way the way they had um, Dusty on the on the pay per view, I was like, ah, oh, all right, Dusty, he's, he'll say any old shit, but at least he's enjoyable. Zabisco doesn't say anything that's particularly funny, and I think there was a point in time where the crowd would cheer behind him and cheer Larry and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, they do that on Nitros. It's incredible, and ultimately he got his push in wrestling by marrying um, Bruno Sammartino's daughter. No, it's after story. I didn't know that. That yeah, that's the why they did the. That's why they did the. No, he married um, Vern Garnier's daughter, didn't he? Oh, did he? Yeah, because yeah, he was Vern Garnier. Yeah, that Remember makes how much sense. he stalled yeah, in his Hall of Fame speech, JP? Speaking of stalling, I didn't watch it, and I had no intention of what. Yeah, I was just like him. No. <laughs> oh, He's I watched pre- it. <laughs> his best, his best match he'll ever be involved with, and it, it's it's by default was that War Games match. Yeah, and he's just yeah. the guy in the match. Yeah, um, and he's the guy in the match, and it's just like, oh, well, he loses. That almost, that adds it up. That's good. <laughs> yeah, Kathleen Garnier, they married in 1988. Oh, there you go. Still still going strong now with uh, Kathleen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go, that's nice. Uh, I hope he never gets another job working in commentary again. Good God, yeah, that's bad. it. Stay uh, looking after her. Oh, mate, Vince hates him, doesn't he? Oh, does he? Oh, that's good then. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, there was all that stuff about him never being brought back because he's on like Vince's like no list, basically. Uh, probably along with Nails. I think Nails had a right in hindsight, if oh, I'm honest. Remember when he kicked <laughs> off? Wasn't he trying to sue Jericho because Jericho started calling himself a living legend? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I remember. Did you ever see the video him and Scott Hall did where they try to try to have a go at Jericho? Oh, I don't remember that. Oh, was that right. were they living in the same house or something? Yeah, was, with they MSL. With Scott Hall when he used to put oh, loads yeah. of videos on yeah. YouTube. <laughs> this was like ten years ago, and I tried to find it in the last ten years, and it's just not online anywhere. That basically Scott Hall re what and Larry Zabisco rewatch a Scott Hall versus Chris Jericho match of Nitro. I think Jericho beats Hall, and then I think do they come back the next week, and then Scott Hall basically squashes Jericho or something. There's some whole story behind it, and there's like all this controversy from like the backstage that went on with Hall and Nash over the match, and Jericho basically has to go as Zabisco for his bad commentary on the match, and Zabisco's just there getting like absolutely livid at Jericho and this video in like 2010 oh, and it, and scott hall was trying to calm him down it's 
it's legitimately hilarious. If anyone knows where it is online, please link it because I've tried to find it and it's just not there. But yeah, Zabisco, what a joke. Oh, I don't think there's any love lost between uh, Chris Jericho and Scott Hall, as Benno well knows, but also in, uh, <laughs> in Jericho's book as well, he, he can he still he, he always brings up the stories of like, you know, or you know, Jericho I'll put an end to your little Terry Taylor push and things like that. And always on his podcast he brings it up as well. So I don't think there's any love lost between them two. Wow. Explains a lot. Um <laughs> Uh, the thing th- is with Paul and Nash at this point, though, like I get it from Jericho's point of view. He was trying to work his ass off and get somewhere in wrestling, and felt like you know they weren't helping in any way at all to get anyone over. I will say one segment and one mini feud that I loved on these nitros oh, was Nash and Mysterio. Yes. Like, Nash, when he was out there during that six Mysterio match, you got Nash and Hall at ringside, and Nash has got his sunglasses on and a massive <laughs> cigar in his mouth at so ringside. Cool. And he gets at the ring, sells, I think he sells some sort of kick by Mysterio, which I was amazed at. Doesn't he sell then, about a few um, drop kicks and he goes in, into the that's ropes? In the actual looks- match. Oh, that's right. in the actual match. So that's leading to the match. But in the sixth match, when he gets in, Mysterio hits a move on him that he actually sells. But then when he comes back and he kills him while he's still smoking his cigar and he's got his sunglasses on and delivers a jackknife powerbomb, you're like, Kevin Nash, he's a twat. He knows it, but I fucking love him. He's my favorite, like, he's my favorite bastard ever. Put it that he's, way. he's a chancer, but a beautiful, brilliant chancer. He's yeah. the only real worker in wrestling, like Jamesy said. Like oh. Jamesy point, he's like, you know, remember when we were all smart marks and and we all well, we harder called smart marks, I suppose, when you're younger and you're supposed to hate Triple H and you're supposed to hate that Kevin Nash because he, you know, he's lazy and he doesn't he doesn't work like you know the the flippy do guys that we all like. And you get older and you kind of go, you know what, Kevin Nash is the one that he knew was worth. He, he only worked as hard as he was being paid to work. He bled to his stuff for everything he could get out of it. And he was a cool fucker on top of it. You know, maybe, you know, he, he's done some shitty things in his time. But I can't, at this age, I kind of respect him. I respect hey, he's him. He's not a that. war criminal, is he, Ben? <laughs> no, exactly. Totally he's not going to be put up in the Hague. So. And he also, around this time, where they do that promo where they're, uh, him and Six are uh, fixing potholes in the road and going, <laughs> oh, you know, you, you flaring them like claim they paved the way, but, you know, we, we <laughs> fixing the potholes in the road and it's like coming from you guys fucking hell you know what i mean talk about the pot calling the kettle black i think piper Brilliant. says that in a promo because like they because pre- nash and hall like come across so young and cool and kind of present themselves as the cool young guys i remember piper in a promo going like i found out the other week that i'm only like a few months older than one of you guys and i think he's literally <laughs> only like two years older than nash uh, but you wouldn't know it watching Mad. it would you it's crazy it's like in Brit rest in this day and age, like Trent Severn and like Andy Boy Simmons are the same age. And it feels like, I don't know, Andy Boy Simmons' career was over six, seven years ago and Trent Severn's has kind of just begun, if you know what I mean. But yeah, again, yeah. it's all down to the presentation. It's time and place and where you were and when your push comes in wrestling as well. So mm. it does count for so much. But I think Hall and Nash were in touch with the audience at this yeah, point. Yeah. And I'm not really sure Piper was in touch or had any inclination to kind of adapt to this sort of time period, if anything. Yeah, I think that was a big problem. Um, but, you know, other than, you know, yeah, Ray Nash was great. I enjoyed that. Did you guys have any other highlights from like this, this block of TV before the pay-per-view, before we get into the pay-per-view itself? I know you guys have been catching up on The Observer, but there was a story um, from, it's the Vegas night show, isn't it? It's um, the one before, the one before Bash at the Beach. And um, 
Apparently, like Tyson's there backstage, isn't he? And he's ready, ready, willing, and able to do um, a, a segment with the NWO. You know, come out and put a T-shirt on. But obviously, it got nixed by the Turner executives because of all the controversy surrounding Tyson at the time. But imagine if that had oh, gone wow. through and that wanted how different that would have been around that time period. You know, if they had got um, Tyson at the time. Well, I didn't know that. That that, that would have changed. Yeah. That, that changes everything, really, doesn't it? You don't do that angle at ninety. I think Austin still gets hot. But I wonder if... But uh, nowhere near as hot. If they don't do yeah. that pull-apart role. Um, and apparently, yeah, and I'm sure I read in Bischoff's book, like, he was at the time, he's like, oh, they can have him, you know, because he's like poison good sort of thing. But obviously, wow. it turned to be completely different. But yeah, apparently, obviously, he, lived, he was living in Vegas at the time and he was, you know, backstage hanging out with Hogan or whatever and he was willing to come out and do a, a segment with the NWO, but... I think uh, Turner executives got a bit nervous around it. I think it was a couple of weeks after he bit Holyfield's ear, but still, the, you know, you think how great they were with getting Rodman in all the mainstream press. You'd think that would, you know, they'd be all over that. Mm. Uh, amazingly, we've not mentioned the actual segment in Chicago with Rodman, have we? I was just going to say mm. that. That's the moment I took really took away with that because that feels like the biggest moment including, you know, at a venue where they just won their fifth NBA title three days before with Dennis Rodman. And Hogan, who is so tanned, I honestly thought, is he blacking up? Because that's, like, awful. But it's like he's uber tanned for this. It's insane. <laughs> there are yeah. so many layers to that comment. Uh, honestly, yeah, that's, there that's are. Like a, uh, that segment's great, though. How good's that segment, Joe? Oh, during that segment, I was thinking that from the moment they get out of that limo and the NWO music, that that music that I just love and adore. You know, when I die at my funeral, <laughs> have that playing as people enter the. Well, I'm not gonna get. I'm not gonna get buried in the church. We don't get buried in the church, do you? The ceremony won't be in a church. I ain't bloody religious. There we go. But wherever my funeral is, get that NWO theme on. That's what I want as people walk in. Wear your NWO t-shirts. I don't care if they're Wolf Pack. I don't care if they're them Rob <laughs> ones. I don't care if it's NWO Japan. Just get them NWO shirts on at the Lemon. <laughs> what about LWO And you're in shirts. Chicago in 1997. Because for me, that is the best opening segments of any wrestling yeah. television. I've ever seen. Yeah. There's nothing that says cool more than that segment. The cigars they got on the go, the strut, the way they walk to the ring, the use of the belt, just the kind of camaraderie between them. Oh, oh it's brilliant. I absolutely loved it. Like I was just like, yeah, this is what wrestling is yeah. in my mind, especially at this period of time. I will say one other thing I was thinking was Hogan and Rodman look very close. Like they're really getting on. Yeah. Do wonder how Hogan would have thought about Rodman if he took an interest in Brooke at some point. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's funny because the whole story around that is that I think he'd, he'd rang Rodman or whatever and Rodman was like, yeah, come out and hang out with me and and they were all nicking sort of like beers and stuff like that. And Hogan was like, oh, I was, I was trying to keep up with them. So I uh, I rang one of the nasty boys and I was like, oh, you got to come down and help me out here. And I was like, what the fuck? Imagine the least coolest person you could ring in Hogan's <laughs> Overdeck was one of the fucking nasty Ryan boys. Well, that's the thing, because Hogan himself isn't cool at all. Like on the, uh, yeah. it, 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 Because he's the top heel, it still works. Because you, you kind of cringe at him. But, like, when, like, they get out of the limo, it is basically the cool guys at the NWO. You haven't got any of your jobbers there. It's Nash Hall, Waltman, Macho, 
And then unfortunately, yeah, Hogan and Bischoff too. Uh, and Savage is there too as well. Yeah, that, that's kind of the crew. And yeah, Hogan is proper hanging off Rodman, trying to get some of that some of that cool. But it still works though. Like you say, it's the cigars. It's the, the favourite bits when the way the camera follows them from backstage and you get that view of the arena so as they walk out. And it's behind yeah. the guys. It's, it, if people haven't seen it, it's iconic. What is it, two weeks before the pay-per-view? It's that episode. Uh, as soon as you uh, said it in our group chat, Johnny, sixteenth of January, sixteenth uh, of June, June. June. I think you mentioned the limo and you mentioned Robin, and, and straight away that was like that is one of my abide memories of the NWO. That scene, um, I'm watching it back again. Yeah, it was so fucking cool. They feel like the biggest baby faces in the world. There is that <laughs> when they're entering that arena, you're like, how are these guys heels? Like, how could anyone boo this? This is fucking awesome. Yeah, well, that, timing uh, is everything, can not it? And the fact they were in Chicago a week after. Uh, you know the Bulls have won the championship and the Ad Brodman it's just like you can't plan it any better than that that's the only Nitro he does isn't it because the others it's just like uh, those backstage videos with him and Hogan we don't see him again do we do the pay-per-view oh yeah that video in the pay-per-view where they are literally just going no you're the best no you're (laughs) the best no I'm the best no you're the best I'd love one of those NWO flags in the background, though. I'd well have one of them in the podcast room. Can put it up behind Joe's coffin at his funeral. <laughs> Drape it I'll over. Tell you what. <laughs> like a military funeral. <laughs> Regarding Rodman, my girlfriend was in the room when he was on the screen as well. I was like, Dennis Rodman was a wrestler. I was like, do you know who Dennis Rodman is? Like, I was kind of surprised. But she knew Dennis Rodman was because he was on Big Brother. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And I was thinking, do you remember who Dennis Rodman was hanging around with on Big Brother? Barrymore. Yeah, Yeah. fucking Barrymore. (laughs) I can't believe I guessed that. I just remembered that Barrymore was on Big Brother. It was that series. Like, what sort of world do we live in where within, like, a five-year period, it must have been a bit more than that, ten-year period, Dennis Rodman was working with Hulk Hogan, Michael Jordan, and then Michael Barrymore. (laughs) (laughs) What the but fuck? But then also wasn't Rodman hanging around with Kim Jong-il as well. Well, that was a good few years after that. Wasn't it? What a life that bloke's lived. Right. Uh, JP, he really a, has. For the, for the episode image, I've got a task for you. You need to find me a picture of Rodman and Barrymore together. Just to, uh, uh, right. Right. <laughs> We need one of them. Okay. All we right. need one yeah. of them. I reckon on, it was mate. 2006. Because oh, they mentioned it on that Barrymore documentary recently as well. Um, Jody Marsh was in that Big Brother as well, I think. I'm trying to think of who else. But yeah, I, I reckon I could see Rodman going down well in that. Imogen Thomas, the one who had the affair with Ryan Giggs, was apparently on there as well. Oh, what a series. <laughs> yes, he also played for the uh, Brighton Bears for a season as well, the uh, well known British basketball team. Yeah, he had a season <laughs> with them. I think that might have been around 2005 as well. Do you know how old he was when he did it? He was 44. When he wrestled on it? No, no, when he, when he did Celebrity some... Big Brother. <laughs> oh, 2006. Right. Wow. George Galloway. Fucking hell. This is... This <laughs> oh, that's the famous one, isn't it? Where he's pretending to be a cat drinking oh, milk. Oh, yeah. Joe, Rula can we let you to watch this? For, like, I know Rula Lenska is. <laughs> she was married to Dennis Waterman. Yeah, um, yeah. AEW ratings rival, Minder. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's the leading. That's the leading for it. It is, isn't it? It's a cracking leading. Yeah. You can imagine Tony getting pissed off every week at, like, Minder. And he's like, nah, don't worry. They're going to run out of these ones. I'll have to show some of the newer ones that hasn't got Dennis Waterman in. Oh, yeah. And they'll still do well in the ratings. Oh, 
Amazing. Uh, anyway, Before we get into Bash of the Beach, we've got to get into this Joe's recommendation of Slamboree 97. I mean, you look oh. at that main event on paper, especially all these years later, and think this is going to be absolutely dreadful. But the fact it's in Charlotte, the molten hot crowd, Kevin Green playing for one of the local football teams. I mean, I absolutely loved that main event of Slamboree 97. I couldn't even remember watching it from the time, but I mean... That crowd, if ever a crowd makes a match and Flair just absolutely just it looks like he's off his tree in the first five minutes of it. Oh, mm. it, I love that match. Like I'd seen it before and was like, oh, I've got to rewatch that again because on paper that match should not be good. But yeah. and it's kind of not traditionally a good match, but in terms of how over it is, in terms of the crowd, in terms of how they get so much out of bloody Kevin Green as well. Yeah. Mm. Like it's kind of great and it's the most over that i think piper is in any of those matches that he has during that period and his spots are kind of over as well but you've also got an nwo kind of again at the top like they they are actually playing heels in that match which is what kind of makes it work and it's that weird finish as well of them all tapping Uh, doesn't kevin green do like an oklahoma slam that's right and then is there like two taps from Nash and Hall or something? But it worked as an ending as well to actually kind of establish mm. some like baby faces. It almost felt like Kevin Green was the kind of great hope if you could get him on a regular schedule at that point because he was over as fuck. And you know what? For a guy who wasn't a wrestler and had probably just done a few sessions at the power plant, he wasn't that bad, if I'm completely yeah. honest. Have you heard the story behind that? What happened? Because apparently, like, because they were doing, like, the uh, six uh, um, Ric Flair feud, and Flair was basically refusing to bump for for six, which is fair enough. I think if you're Ric Flair, I'm not sure. Sean Maltman, the Cruiserweight champion, I can understand his pride being a bit hit, but Nash and Hall were, like, proper offended by it as well. So they kind of turned up to this show with, like, their their working boots on if anything so i think like almost to prove a point like because they were so pissed off with with the uh, piper and flair nash hall and x-pac just went out there and just completely like worked their out it actually worked out in a reverse psychology kind of way because it's the, the hardest i've seen i think i've ever seen nash work as a as like a bump and heel still didn't take that many i'm sure jp can give us a count but yeah apparently that's the story behind it that there was like you had a, a rivalry backstage and nash hall and x-pac were trying to show the other guys up on the counterpoint to that, well, well, um, from X-Pac himself, he said that the Piper and Flair wanted Hogan to be in it originally because oh. obviously, you know, he's, he's the bigger name and that. But it was um, Nash and Hall were like, well, Hogan ain't going to make Kevin Green look good, is he? You know, the only one who's mm. going to make Kevin Green look good is, uh, is uh, six X-Pac, what do you want to call him? And then apparently Flair... Was um was saying oh well we're gonna um go over on six then and that's when Nash was like no nah, no nah, you go yeah. all, over all three of us mm, yeah that's kind of the back backstage but love that bit of backstage WCW mechanic in from uh, from this period when- apparently they did it because they wanted to show how professional they were. <laughs> <laughs> Well, him and Piper had a massive fight at the end of one of the matches. Was it the Great American Bash where Nash ripped the door down on Piper's dressing room? Mm-hmm. Ended up yep. in some brawl. It was uh, a tag match, weren't it? And apparently Piper was like going into business for himself. Like that's how he felt. And like Nash just went backstage and like just gave him a slap, didn't he? Well, he deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, top match though. Like again, better than any writer had to be. Like there was, there's no you put like those elements. You put them together and make a six man tag out of it. It shouldn't be that good, and it is. It's brilliant. You said um, Mongo's the best footballer to be a wrestler. Kevin Green was, was very good too. Joey, yeah, he had his, he had his moments. I, I was slightly exaggerating on the Mongo point, mate. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. You know, Steve Williams is out there, so oh, yeah, there was out there. There's probably some better examples, isn't there? <laughs> uh, anything else we want to talk about from this period before we get into the uh, the pay-per-view review itself? No. Oh, one oh. other thing I was going to say as well. A couple of great segments from this year, well, from this year of Nitro. One that I love that just shows what a great man Kevin Nash is again and what a great sense of humour he's got. Arn Anderson's retirement speech parody. Mm. Fucking love it. Oh, I love that. Well, wasn't Arn fuming about that for years? Yeah. Well, apparently he wasn't, but then, like, he called... He's, there's loads of different stories about yeah. it, but apparently he, his wife called and she was upset about it, and that's oh. when he got hot about it, weren't he? But there's actually... Everyone always forgets there's actually a really good flair promo on the Nitro after that. As much as he was doing crap promos all year, he actually does a, a really good promo um, on the Nitro after that one. All right. Which also sees Mongo coming out in his Bears jacket to um it must be in milwaukee or something because all the green he's trying to do a babyface promo and they're obviously all green bay packer fans and they're all <laughs> the shit out of him amazing uh yeah big mongo fan but yeah we'll uh, we'll talk some more uh mongo when we get we get into the pay-per-view itself but wait let's let's talk it then uh only took us an hour and a half to get to this point lads it's a lot, yeah, exactly. a lot of uh 1997 to talk uh but yeah this pay-per-view was uh it's a big moment in time in terms oh, of wrestling history in all our lives as well you know for yeah. me it's like we, we we joked about not even joked about you know talked about that ring of honor period being a big part of my life this wcw period is like another huge part of my fandom like i say 1997 was one of probably that and 2000 i think are my two favorite wwf years but if you want to talk about everybody being great like it's 1997 isn't it it's a massive massive part of my fandom um but yeah as far as the show goes uh like i said it, was, it came in just under three hours which is uh always appreciated uh they opened up with that Opening promo clip of uh, Luger and the Giants uh, going out about the NWO. Uh, kind of, this we weren't always very great at like these uh, these video clips going in. Uh, then we went to the commentators who were shilling, and yeah, like you said, JP, Dusty Rhodes was there. I think I'm probably the low man compared to you on Dusty. Like, he, I would say Cody is 10 times the commentator of, of Dusty Rhodes. Like, he was just saying shit, wasn't he? To say shit. Uh, do it. He's enthusiastic, you can give him that, can't you? At least there's that. Um, and yeah, I thought, I thought uh, Shivani is great in, uh, in, in, sh- in his normal kind of just shilling out of everything uh, kind of way that he goes. I thought he was good too, and yeah, Bobby the Brain's uh, nearing the end of his. Uh, uh, I think he's past his peak uh, and getting to the point where he doesn't give a fuck anymore. Uh, but I thought he was decent through the show as well. But yeah, we, we opened up with uh, a match that uh, I don't know it might split us here when we get into our grapple uh-huh. ratings in a minute. Uh, but let's talk about it. First up, and we didn't get a chance to talk them, talking uh, some of our Nitro highlights and lowlights, but we got Mortis and Wrath against Glacier and Ernest Miller. And yeah, Glacier. We have to have the great Gracie conversation, lads, because fuck me. <laughs> like, they were trying. I, I know I know um, Bischoff's a, a big karate guy, and I think Ernest Miller was, like, his son's karate teacher or something, and that's how he ended up getting a job. But Glacier and the whole kind of trying to do the, the Mortal Kombat Sub-Zero thing. I've got to be honest, when I was 12, and they were running those Glacier videos every week, 
I was very excited for Glacier to make his debut. And it feels like they ran those promos for about six months. Because I think I think it was something near that. They just constantly teased it and teased it and teased it that this this amazing star was coming. And I, as a young, naive 12-year-old, thought this great babyface was coming in to take out all of the NWO. And then it was Ray Lloyd. And, you know, he just... He's kind of... He's odd-looking because, like, I think like, he's got a good physique. And he kind of... The gimmick is cool. But from the neck up, to me, he just looks like a 40-year-old man. Like, there's something really, really uncool he, about Glacier. He looks like Sting in June. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does. He looks like when Barry Rindham would dress up as Sting. Like, he's just... Oh, he's so... I, I, the gimmick should be cool. Or at least it should have been cool to 12-year-old me. But yeah, I don't think there was anything less cool than, uh, than Glacier and Ernest Miller wandering out here. But I don't know if you've got an, uh, a counter take to that joke. Oh, I love this match. I thought, it was, I thought it was a great opener. Like, the Cat and Glacier's entrance, number one, awesome. Those karate stances they're in, looking lively, oh, looking God. like they're up for it. Some of the choreographed sequences that they're doing together in the match as well. Oh, it was awesome. It felt to me like um, a kind of rough version of like an NXT trainee sort of match when they first get on the TV show. Um, but with a lot more kind of like charisma going on, a lot more freedom, a lot more spirit. They weren't being as sort of like controlled by the powers backstage, let's say. We have to overproduce everything so within an inch of its life where you're you're basically out there to impress the producer rather than the crowd and the watching audience at home. Oh, I was loving some of the choreographs. Was they were so silly and so kind of cheesy that they were great. And also, I got to say, Raph and Mortis, I hate supernatural shit in wrestling. What I find is WWE goes too fucking far with this supernatural bollocks time after time. WCW kind of did it, but they didn't go like mad on it to the point where you were kind of like shaking your head until Warriors they, they did a point oh, yeah. like Jim Hurd. Yeah. Good point, yeah. But they weren't going to, like, I don't know, Bray Wyatt's fucking swamp and talking about a fictional sister that may or may not have lived at one point in time. It was just weird shit that was there just to be weird. And then you got James Vandenberg on the outside, who I've never liked. I've always thought he was kind of shit. But Shitty. the match, was, I thought, was was great fun. Uh, the cap getting getting over is this like kicking expert as well. I just found hilarious. Um, yeah, I was I was into this on an ironic level. But yeah, I, I really would love Joey Janela to get Ernest the Cat Miller in for one of his uh, spring break shows at some point. <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna rave about like Rodman JP only this is being his debut match later and you know spoiler looking a lot better than you should in your debut match. Apparently, this was only Ernest Miller's third match. Give him some credit for that. Tenth. Tenth. Was I it? went back and checked, oh, was checked it ten? the cage match. Observer <laughs> three. Yeah. It nice. was tag team matches on house shows ah, with this. Ah, okay. I think as well. And some stuff for WCW Saturday night. Oh, maybe I'm like, less sympathetic now. I know that. Uh, still ten matches. Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, Mate, he was an absolute natural. He was He was okay. I mean, I watched this. And I remember watching this late and I, and I was like right I'm going to watch this in the morning because you were raving about it Joe and I was like <laughs> not on a serious not, level not on a serious level but I was I've like I've seen you right. on Grapple Joe Great yeah, so I watched it. <laughs> yeah. it and I thought he was okay and I also thought a lot of the match is how good Mortis Chris Canyon was mm. as much as anything in terms He's of being better, mate. exactly 
and I, I thought he was good. That corner spot they did was quite fun. Mm. The one with the chair and the corner they did on Glacier. And I was surprised they won. So I was like, oh, right. So I didn't, I, I went two and a half on this because it's, it's not great, but it's perfectly fine. But it feels like Glacier was undefeated. And then not long after this, he's just gone. Mm. So they beat him here with that weird kind of chain around the foot spot. Oh, that was but terrible. Then, but that's like kind of the end of it then, isn't it? Yeah, that's so, the yeah, first loss, isn't it? Yeah, it's like these lads were replacing the spot very much made famous by Johnny B. Bad, really, weren't they? For that okay opener. <laughs> oh, the way you were talking about it, I thought you went lower than two and a half because I went two and a half on it. I thought it was fine as an opener. It was fun. Oh. Where were you on it, Martin? Well, yeah, I... Looking at the lineup for the show, I thought, oh my God, that's going to be fucking shit. But it didn't have any right to be this good. Because, I mean, I don't know, I just find these characters in WCW at this time period so weird. Because obviously Bischoff's going for this whole using wrestlers' real names and giving it more of an edgy feel. And then this was his other pet project, creating these video game characters and then dumping in the middle of it all. I mean, but I, I, do, I do agree, it was tons of fun. But, I mean, for the supposed karate experts, I, I honestly thought... Sean Waltman's kicks were stiffer than these guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'd give it about two and a half. I thought it was a lot more fun than I thought it was going to be. And I agree with Joe, the entrances were spectacular. <laughs> I mean, the, the oh, game-style yeah. lasers and the dry ice and things. Yeah, they certainly put a lot of money into their production. They, they announced Glacier was from Fukuoka, Japan. Did they? <laughs> <laughs> Look at him. He's not from Japan. That's amazing. He's, I'm pretty sure he's from Georgia, and if not, Georgia would have been a good guess. Uh, I, you know, I don't think he was a world beater, but don't you think, like, based on his size, you would have expected Rat to have a better career than he did? Like, he yeah. got saddled with Adam Bomb. Then he got, then he was like in this storyline. I won't say saddled out of respect for Joe, but he's in this superhero storyline. Oh, I'm not that big a fan. <laughs> you can carry him. <laughs> eventually, eventually in the tag team with Brian Adams, he kind of to a point gets himself over. But you would have thought he'd be a slam dunk as a wrestler because he's athletic. He can go. He's got a great look. Just never quite worked out for old Adam Bomb, did it? Nah, it never did. He was just one of these guys who had the sight. I mean, in some ways. Talk about Luger in the main event. It's not like Luger's any better than him, is mm. he? Or any less charismatic. It's just he has a more defined body. He's one of them chronic as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's the team yeah. of yeah. Clark. Yeah. He's one of them blokes that I just get. Right. So there's Brian Adams, there's Brian Lee, and there's Brian Brian. <laughs> and they're all about the same size. Yeah. They all kind of look the same. Yeah. And I just get them all mixed up. One of them was Crush, right? Yep, that's Brian yeah, Adams. Yeah, that's Brian that's Adams. Adams. Yeah. Right. Which, which, who was Brian Lee? Was he the fake Undertaker? Yeah, yeah, yeah he's fake Undertaker. He did the stuff with well. Tommy Dreamer and ECW, the choke slams off. Uh, 911. Yeah, that stuff. Uh, which one was in the. That's, was some of them in the DOA as well? Yeah, Brian Adams and. Brian Lee were in the in the yeah in the DOA <laughs> with the Harris brothers. Yes, what is yeah. They all fucking look the same. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from the Harrises, who are bald. Yeah, they, there was a similar look on them bikes, mate. <laughs> they are the nineties equivalent of Gallus, aren't they? Basically, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> they are. Yeah. Well, they're like the shit jobbers in Oz. Do you remember in Oz the uh, gang that was led the by the lead guy. singer of Biohazard? Yes. Yeah. 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 They're like that gang in Oz. But there is just like when there's a riot there, a few of them get stabbed or like do some the stuff Aryan in the Brotherhood get them in for a bit of backup occasionally. That's right. Yeah, yeah. They're working with Schillinger, who's like the Hulk Hogan of uh, Oswald Penitentiary in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, anyway, back to the show. Yes. From the, one thing from this first match, though, and oh, something that WCW did loads and loads, and I don't recall that WF did it as bad as WCW did, that they can't talk uh, all through Nitro. They can't talk about any match without mentioning Hogan. You know, I mean, it's just like, well, Hogan and Rodman yeah. are coming up later, or Hogan and Rodman are doing this. Oh, I wonder what Hogan and Rodman are doing. It's like, for fuck's sake, guys, we bought the pay per view by now. We, we, you know, we're we're with you. You don't need to keep fucking going on about Hogan and Rodman. Yeah, it's it's that uh, that whole Simpsons thing, isn't it? No matter whenever Poochie's not on screen, the other characters would be asking, "Where's Poochie?" That's Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Following this, we got a fucking fantastic little segment that I loved. DDP. At the WCW internet position. <laughs> I love this one. They used to audio stream pay-per-views, lads. That's what people used. That's what people were doing on the internet in 1997. I don't know if you were involved in this, JP. Were you the Were you the I love cows user in the chat room who was asking DDP questions? That he was incredibly dismissive of, quite <laughs> yeah. rightfully as well. And the 14-year-old WCW website guy. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised. I was like, should he be working there? Is there not like some sort of child labour law that's presenting that that should have been in place in Florida in '97? Uh, because yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's not great. It's very much a sign of the times, isn't it? And ever... it's funny they they were considered to be above, like ahead of the curve when it came to their online mm. content as well, because they had had that show that had they streamed it online, the one where Jericho won the title against Six from I the think... Great Western Forum. Was that, did you mention something on here about... Was that an audio one? I don't think it was a video one. I don't I think, think you could have I think there was an, an audio one. I was going to say, did you did you, did you you never uh, listen to an audio pay-per-view? Have you never done that, JP? I wonder. I can't imagine really what that would be What's like. What's the point, an audio, yeah? An audio pay-per-view. You could do that on Sky, couldn't you, Martin? Back when... Uh, like, I don't know if you were the same as me. When when my family weren't paying for Sky Sports, mainly in the summer when the uh, the footy had gone off, I'd, I'd watch Raw on a Friday quote, uh, like, and watch should be in italics because the, the whole the screen would be scrambled, but you could still hear Raw and hear the commentary. That's basically the equivalent of what this is. Oh, yeah, I, ne- I never did it myself, personally, because I didn't have Sky, but I did. I remember some people saying that, you know, you could um, hear the audio from, like, WF pay-per-views and Raw and things like that. But yeah. I think um, it was weird for um, WCW because they were trying this experiment of streaming these shows, like, just a commentary or whatever online. Um, but I think the first one they had, they, it was a complete fuck-up and they had to refund everybody, you know, <laughs> In typical WCW fashion. Yeah, so it's not like them. In typical internet streaming fashion. Fuck me, it's 2020 and yeah. it's still happening, isn't it? Yeah. Fight of Those Ring of Honor pay- pay-per-views. Oh, Bloody God. Hell. Those Evolve ones. That are, the amount of credits I got off Gabe for those WWN uh, streams. But anyway, <laughs> moving on from that, anyway, we went into our, uh, our Cruiserweight title match, uh, Ultimo Dragon or... Ultimate Dragon, uh, as he was called by a couple of the mm. commentators. They couldn't really get the story straight on that one. Uh, against Jericho. Did Jericho come out to the Pearl Jam thing here? Because I had on my notes, what's the th- what's the song here? It didn't sound like the Pearl Jam one. Unless no, it's it wasn't. It, it sounds like the pretenders don't get me down. That's it was, it. Bas- the it was the basketball highlights one that I, I said about earlier. Ah, that's it, yeah. Ah. I, I couldn't get what the riff was. I was wondering what it was. Right, that's it. Yeah, yeah. That was odd. Um, but yeah, like I, 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 this was... A solid second match. Uh, I was. It was interesting reading the Observer and reading. Uh, mm. Meltzer gave this four point two five. What I know. <laughs> which I think he feels was off his tits when ex- he watched that. I mean, I think it was just the guys that were in there. I think more than anything, because yeah. I thought I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong, I had fun, but I thought it was a bit of a mess. Was it just me? Very sloppy. Very sort yeah. of. Um, 
I thought there was no real chemistry between them. Mm. And I thought they were a bit off on certain spots. Like I thought Jericho looked really nervous at points. It didn't seem as kind of confident, sort of self-assured self. Sort of to me spoke volumes about the environment. He he was maybe in at the time as a young wrestler, uh, put in a sort of pressure position and how he wasn't sort of fully there at this point in time. Like, because his match of Ultimo Dragon in war was the match that got him signed in WCW mm. as well, wasn't oh, it? So yeah. I, I must have seen this match before because I have watched this pay-per-view before, but I didn't remember it, this match being this sloppy. And it just didn't, it felt like a match where two guys had never worked together before and they were trying out stuff and they just weren't kind of clicking. Yeah, I just thought it was very awkward at times. Yeah. And the crowd really aren't into it. I'll say how like, hot they are for everything else. And how weird is it seeing Jericho as like a white meat baby <laughs> face? Yeah, I know he changes character in the company later on, but it's still so mm. weird seeing him like this. Mm. He just he looks there like he hasn't grown into himself yet. He doesn't know who he is yet. Yeah, there, there are moments where in, in earlier Nitros where he kind of hints at what he could become. But he's certainly not there yet at this point. I'd agree with you, lads. I think there was... It didn't help that the crowd were dead at points as well. Mm. And I think that kind of, like... Whereas, they, obviously, they're a bit hotter for that opener as well. I thought Shivoni did a great job when he covered for this um, Jericho dropkick where Dragon fell, went off the top, but he clearly missed it. Oh, quite yeah. Quite a bit. Foot away, wasn't he? It was, that was bad. He was like a foot away from him, but I thought he did a good job covering him for it. But, yeah, yeah like... You, and then reading Meltzer, and he's like four and a quarter, and I was like, hey? Yeah. I was like... I went three and a quarter, and I thought I was being somewhat generous because it was, <laughs> it was just kind of, yeah, like you say, a bit of a mess. Moves, wasn't it? Like I say, that, that, yeah, there was that fluff dropkick, but there was the cool dropkick spot on the floor where Ultimo caught yeah. I think Jericho coming off the top, uh, and they did the one off the line salt as well. It had those good moments, but like, yeah, even the finish Which tended to come after the botches, didn't it? It's like they were yeah. really going to go to try and make up for it. And like, did you notice at the finish, Dragon didn't seem to know which turnbuckle to go for his moonsault on. Um, and then they went straight to like the, the actual finish from there. For Jer- just odd. Uh, it almost felt like there was a point as well on the outside where it was like Jericho had to remind Dragon that the, it was a 10 count when it got to about 8. There was just lots of those weird little moments on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, in the match that just, yeah, kind of took me out of it. I went 2.75 on Grapple. Am I the low man same. there? Same. No, same. I went the same. How about you, JP? I went 3.25. Oh, okay. I thought there was some... There was some good wrestling early on mm. there was yeah. some decent wrestling earlier on but mm. certainly not four and a quarter stuff how about you Joe Martin uh, I gave it three I thought it was like there was a lot of sloppy stuff in it but um, like JP said enough decent stuff early on in it to make it better than the first match yeah, mm. that's it. very much a gentleman's uh, from there we went to uh, another great segment with Mean Gene uh, plugging the WCW hotline because that's that's what he does that's where he gets his money uh, mm. and then interviewing Raven I, I love Mean Gene in these interview segments like even the little things where like Stevie Richards butts in and to make sure everyone knows Mean, mean Gene's like what are you doing here Stevie Richards like he makes <laughs> sure he keys everyone up at the right moment he fills in the blanks like compare him to the robots that WWE use these mm. days how great was Mean Gene. And you know Mean Gene's doing it all on the fly as well. Mm. He's, he's got like bullet points and he's doing it all sort of like improv out there as well. Yeah, that's it. And he's giving pointers to the lads, making sure they get the right, you know, the right plugs in there, making sure they hit those right bullet points. Oh, he's a treat. Uh, yeah. It's just having him out in the arena that works as well. And I like mm. the way that AEW used Shivani in a similar role because mm. I think it's something that's really been missing in wrestling. But also, 
He's got a confidence about him when he does it. Whereas you look at these WWE robots and it looks like they're shit scared. They're delivering lines and they don't want to go into it. feels like they can't sort of like change things up or do something on the fly or wing something. Whereas Mean Gene doing that and being able to react just gives these segments something. Mm. Um, also, Mean Gene, don't you reckon he looks like Jimmy Greaves? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he that. does a very tanned. Not yeah. Greaves. Yeah. Jimmy Greaves. Anyway. <laughs> I was, I was going to say the promo itself was shite. Yeah, it was It was great, fucking man. nonsense. Yeah, quote the right. Like, for, for, for what he said. And, and yeah, there was... Yeah, because I like the jumping over the rail stuff, as I said earlier on. Mm. Well, this was followed up by probably one of the most nothing matches on the show, at least I thought. Yeah. Uh, the Star Brothers and Beta yeah. Inferno. At least we got the NWO uh, B-team theme uh, as NWO Japan came out. This is kind of the biggest and scariest babyface Scott Steiner was, I think. You can tell, like we said earlier, he's ready to turn at this point. He's ready to be monstrous roid rager Scott Steiner. I like the big DDT off the shoulders finish. I always liked it when the Steiners pulled that one out. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I haven't got a huge amount of notes on this match. I don't know if you guys have got any more. I went two and a half on Grapple. Yeah, it's quite a nothing match, really, isn't it? I mean, Cherno seems more interested in rallying up that sun in the crowd. Yeah. I mean... Does I'm it sure choice, he doesn't he? To go back to Japan. I wouldn't yeah, be surprised. Ninety-seven is mm. probably a progressive for that point in time, <laughs> isn't it? It's always interesting, isn't it, when like the the Japanese guys are over in WCW or even WWE at this point. And um, you know, whereas now, like Okada will come over and it'll be Okada. You can tell these guys are trying their best to fit into American style, aren't they? And it just doesn't really mm-hmm. work. But Meltzer was saying that there was a big Japanese contingent that were that were like covering this match mm. and it was broadcast on weekly pro wrestling at the time. Oh, it'd have been like, fucking hell, you're in for a letdown then in that case, <laughs> aren't you? But well, it's like, especially Chono. with Chono. Yeah. Find a good Chono. I've never seen many good Chono matches. I've never seen a Chono match above like three and a half stars. Mm. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because Muta and Chono joined NWO around May time, aren't they? And obviously that's factioned in massive business for New Japan, even though Bischoff, it's originally taken the inspiration from them in the first place. And well, I've got to say, New Japan in 97, 98 is like a pretty big blind spot for me. Um, and obviously followed the company um, sort of early mid-90s, mid but fell off here. And I was checking the G1 results out from 97 earlier, and it had fucking Buff Bagwell in it. Jesus Christ, the workhorse. You know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think Bagwell was a bad wrestler. Like, it's a bad wrestler than you want, mate, really. Oh. No, honestly, I think he was fine as a wrestler at this point in Me time. Too. G1. B- b- I would G1, put him in a G1. I think G1 was a very different um, tournament at that point in time, though, wasn't it? Like, it wasn't the kind of monster shorter. that it is today. So I don't know if there was as much expectation on it. And with the deal and with them trying to, I don't know, have someone in there that they've got a deal with to try and improve somewhat, I can sort of see why they would send him over for it to some extent. You wouldn't give him any sort of push in it, no. but I get the idea of him in there at this point. Yeah. He'd have a lot of heel wins, wouldn't he, that year? Yeah, with some other NWO Japan, like whether it's Mooter or Chono. Well, he's with involved. Scott Norton alone oh. at this point as well, isn't he? Yeah. I loved Vicious and Delicious. I thought there was two lads who shouldn't be hanging around together, but something about their chemistry worked. They were very much a B tag team, but I liked them. I thought they were good. Good finish as well. That blockbuster off the shoulders. Great tag team finish. <laughs> Uh, did we all go uh, all giving that one a 2.5 I'm guessing from uh, yeah. looking at graphic yeah. spoilers <laughs> yeah that, that's kind of all that match was um, speaking of star ratings though the uh, the next match another Meltzer 4.25 that I'd be scratching my head 
Hector Garza, Juventud Guerrera, Lismark Jr. against La Parca, Psychosis, and Volano 4. We've got Sonny Odo in that corner. To me, this was just a flippy match. They were just... This was the problem with WCW at this point. Like, Tanay would be doing his best on comedy to explain all these, all these guys were. But WCW themselves never gave you a reason to care about the difference between, say, yeah. Liz Mark Jr. and Volano 4 or 5 or 7 or 8. Like, and they were making those jokes on commentary. Like, there was just... There was no reason to invest in these dudes. Like, it was fun for what it was. I enjoyed the flips. I enjoyed... I thought Sonny Ono was relatively entertaining on the outside, if maybe a distraction for the match. But it was another one. I don't know if you read the observe, this this particular Observer as well, JP. Some, some head-scratcher again from Meltzer. 4.25? I can't even yeah. imagine that. what world you'd uh, be given that. Right. Maybe Mate. maybe at the time. I, I don't know. Maybe it's an age I suppose, thing. yeah, it might be worth remembering about, you know, the time. Obviously, mm. we've seen stuff like this all the time now. True. I mean, it seems That's... a lot better now. But viewing it at the time, you know, this was quite spectacular still. True. Oh, I, I, when I was watching this, I was thinking... This is like an opener at Fight Club Pro. <laughs> it really is. Just a multi-man kind of mess of a match. Loads of moves and the rest of it. And I'd seen in like in the build-ups to these, a lot of the sort of luchador stuff. And the matches themselves, I saw real mess at mm. times in particular. Like loads of like kind of little botches and miscommunications and stuff going on. And I think it was like the idea that the matches themselves weren't great, but the move set and the style was popular. Mm. And that's what people wanted to see. Mm. So it has that kind of fresh appeal to it. But you're looking through it with 2020 eyes and you're just like, Jesus, this is just a bit of a shambles, really. And just feels like a, a multi-man mid-card match where it's like, go out and do this. And there's no sort of rules to it. Just a, a bit of a diversion as much as anything. Yeah, it's, it's yeah a- this was complete nostalgia for me. I used to love this stuff watching it at the time. <laughs> and like, I know they were complete spot fest clusterfuck, but I, I always used to love um, that Hector Garza uh, top row corkscrew, and I still thought it looked fantastic watching it on this show as well. Mm. Yeah, he was like a big missed opportunity, really, in wrestling. Mm. I thought that like the- was he in WWF for a bit when they had their connection with Triple A, or was it because Latin Lover was in WWF? Did Hector Garza turn up too? I think he was very, very briefly in mm. that he was WCW. I know TNA were big on pushing him, and then he got caught at the border with drugs. Oh, mm. yeah, I, I want to say, mm. and then at that point, he was sort of he was just sort of left in. Um, in um in Mexico then at that point and then I think not long afterwards was it was it cancer he, he ended up getting wow but, um yeah before he passed before he passed away and he was someone who had kind of had that size as well and it was always the idea of looking for that kind of Latin baby face wasn't it that's mm. the is, is this the Angel Garza in WWE is that his son yes it is I think it is that's Hector Garza Junior yeah right oh. I've only seen like I might need to check that I, could be I think I've only seen that's one of his matches in. NXT, but I, yeah, I thought, oh right, that must be his son. Like I remember Hector Garza, but JP, bit of AAA and TNA crossover there, so your area, mate. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I tell you, whose uh, area this wasn't. I don't know if anyone else went back and I listened to what happened when. I know sometimes you listen to the Conrad po- podcast, Martin. You know, hated this. He's match? the nephew of Hector Garza. Oh, is he? Is that what it is? You know, who hated right. this match. Shivani, Shivani on his podcast only last year was going on about how much he hated flippy guys who do these types of matches yeah. with no story. And I was thinking, you watch AEW now. And he comes mm-hmm. across as like this enthusiastic uncle loving all the dives. It proper broke kayfabe for me. I was gutted listening to the podcast and, and how much he hated this thing. There's more story there, though. In, I think in these AEW matches, there's more focus. So like, I think 
you look at the the change in style and mm. the change in like training schools in the US since this period as well. Um, and I think like WCW for me is a great example of a promotion that uh, gave an opportunity and a platform to different styles at a mainstream level. So you think about the Spring Stampede 94 that we did the review of a few weeks ago, mm. and you look at how much the style in WCW has changed in that three-year period. Mm. Do you think at that point there were a lot of kind of samey workers, good workers, but very much sort of similar fundamentals? And then the change-up on the card was kind of the Nasty Boys, the Cactus Jack stuff, um, Jeremy Beadle against Dustin Rhodes, <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what Jeremy Beadle's name was. Yeah, but it was the change up of style on the car was kind of brawls, if anything. Whereas here, you've got brawls, you've got high flying, you've got these kind of raw guys doing these weird matches and that opener as well. So there's just this real diversification of a style. And WWE weren't really doing that. I know they had their token cruiserweight division where they oh. brought Tacker and like the great Sasuke and guys in, didn't they? Yeah. But they never really invested in it. Whereas WCW, even though there was no story, there was a platform for it. It got mainstream attention. And I think you just saw a lot of wrestlers who were coming up, a lot of smaller guys in the US as well, who were trading a slightly different style learn slightly different styles as a result of it mm. so i think wcw really should be commended for the kind of influence and impact that they've had on modern wrestling but you look at say an AEW and someone like a sammy guevara who in this era wcw if he was there might have been doing these this spotty stuff his matches even though he's doing lots of spots there is still a story and there's a framework to those matches where he does hit those spots in the match so i can see how tone is kind of more appreciative of the uh aw style let's say at this point in time if he likes a story hmm. yeah wcw definitely was all about variety and throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks wasn't it but um i mean you mentioned wwf there the light heavyweight division i don't want to go off on a complete different track but wasn't there something around this time period as well where, I don't know, you guys are probably better knowing than me from the backgrounds with the Observers, where they were wanting to do some kind of like deal with all Japan and like bring Kabashi into Tech Austin on or something like that, or do a tour of Japan and have Kabashi wow. against Austin. 98, they wanted to do, I think it was, there was rumours of Kabashi Michaels, I remember. Right. In early 98, I remember being a bit of a thing. Um, but that is mind-blowing to me, thinking about what could have been with that, a WWF All Japan sort of like union. <laughs> I think I think Michaels wouldn't have taken it seriously if he'd have ended up in there with Kabashi, and mm. I think he'd have got fucking battered as a result of it. Yeah, that's it. I mean, as much as we talk about the way WCW used these guys, like like you said there, Joe, the, w, the, the what the WWF did with their cruiserweight division, what they did when they had that Triple H partnership, they were always about like lessening these guys. They were just jobbers. They probably would have done the same with the with the Japan Connect as well. But yeah, gosh. I think you can take me choppy or pee pee seriously. Yeah. Don't <laughs> <it>? <laughs> I did love that back memorable. in the day. A memorable. <laughs> I think the thing is as well, what I find with WCW at this period is they had like they seem to be scouting talent across the world as well. So you think about like a lot of the guys who were getting signed based on their work in Japan, um, but then you've got these guys coming in from Mexico as well. But then you've also got like the power plant where it feels like they're bringing in a totally different 
uh, sort of wrestler that very much feels quite samey and a bit kind of wooden when they come in, if anything. And uh, like, I'm trying to think of what power plant guys were kind of a success long term other than Goldberg. No, um, that's it, Goldberg. It's like the performance center, isn't it? If you try and produce wrestlers in that way, you'd imagine they would have learned something 20 plus years later. But in some ways, they needed to go out and work a lot of places because, yeah, you're thinking what high voltage. Yeah, because yeah, like Batista talks about that because he was there. He went to the power plant, didn't he, and got shouted out the room like like Colonel Robert Parker. What a great way of uh, spotting Buddy Lee Parker, Buddy Lee Parker chasing. Uh, sorry, yeah, Buddy Lee Parker, not, not the other one. <laughs> uh, yeah, but who yeah. actually got his own little nitro run, didn't he? As like Goldberg's partner towards the dying days of yeah. WCW. Uh, but yeah, Buddy Lee Parker was just chasing people out. Um, and the, you know, if you can't see a star in Batista, like come on, there's not much down for you. Other than, well, yeah, it did see a star in Louis Farouk. Mate, so that's <laughs> all the reigns or the natural born thrillers, guys. Yeah, the really what was the name they gave Louis through in that documentary? I can't remember. Oh, it was Waldo, wasn't it? Like the version of yeah. Wally, yeah. <laughs> amazing. A big match with Pistol Pez Watley <laughs> and the Georgia Dome. Yeah. <laughs> it is interesting though, because the JP and bring up the performance center, and I just think about. At the performance center, the only the only really good wrestler in the performance center is producer the female wrestlers, the Charlottes, the Sasha Banks, the Baileys. Like male wrestler wise, like who have they produced really that's been great? And you sort of think about where all the great guys in NXT come from, and they come from the Indies. And it feels like the Indies has become to say at NXT or an AEW what Japan and Mexico kind of was yeah. to WCW at this point in time. Hmm. And ECW yeah. as well. I mean, oh were, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Which was a big part of like Bischoff scouting as well, wasn't it? Like seeing guys get over in ECW and bringing them in here. Uh, but he yeah. still denies that to this day, and it's like, come oh, on, mate, you fucking like, signed up. Russo as well. Russo denies getting the attitude there from ECW. It's like, come on, mate, you literally did their angles again. Like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. ECW's got a lot to uh, to answer for. Oh come on, they always had attitude. Isn't that, is that- <laughs> To quote Vince. And isn't it weird the way when, yeah, ECW disappeared, then there was no one to steal ideas from. WWE had one of the worst runs, worst 20-year runs probably of any promotion ever. But mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on, as we as we all said, uh, you know, variety is kind of a big thing on these shows. Speaking of variety, going from like a lucha match like that to to basically a, a, just a hard-nosed brawl, Benoit and Kevin yeah. Sullivan. I had no idea they were still doing this stuff at this point. Um, Jacqueline is kind of in there instead of uh, Nancy. I actually found it a bit of a hard watch after Dark Side of the Ring, I don't know if anyone's the same way, watching like Jackie get involved in the brawl in between the two of them and just mm. generally Benoit and Sullivan pacing each other, knowing the, you know, the real-life issues uh, behind it. I mean, for the part, it did look like a real fight for that reason. Um, and it was, you know, it was a stiff, very different match than, than what came before it. But yeah, it did make me feel uh, just a, a touch uncomfortable watching this thing. I did enjoy them completely trashing that set, though, and Jimmy Hart oh. getting pushed off that lifeguard chair. I rewinded that twice that to make sure it was a spot. I thought, did Jimmy Hart yeah. just fall? Like, what's he doing <laughs> taking that spot? Like, he's 50 at that point. Oh, that's crazy. He's yeah. always at the same age, isn't he? <laughs> he has, even it now. I, I didn't, I have to admit, I didn't have that issue. I kind of watched it as a No, I didn't either. In, in and of itself. And I have to say, it was my match of the night. Oh, same. Loved it. And when you talk about the change of pace, this felt like a real change of pace mm. because it was so heated. Mm. And I hate to say it, it would have been those real life issues that would have driven it that way. The way the crowd got into it. 
mm. like by the end as well. I mean, I yeah, I loved watching this. No, I feel the bad crowd were well into it. They were like so hot, especially when they were rolling all over that set. And I thought Jacqueline was uh, pretty decent in a role in this one as well. Yeah, oh, those she... chairs. Oh, how random were they? They were like you, oh, the wooden ones. Sort of, like, yeah, like fucking deck chair. Yeah, you can get them in IKEA still. I've got a couple of them downstairs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they look. They smash rough, the though. shit, don't they? Once they once you hit someone oh, with them, Sullivan hits them over the back of the head with one at one point. Like my god, like. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, things came to my mind when he did that, I'm not going to lie. Oh, it was rough, wasn't it? Rough to watch. That was the point where I was thinking, oh, like, I was enjoying the match, and then it was like, oh, actually, this is quite difficult to watch, yeah. yeah. Um, I, again, I thought it was my it was my match of the night as well. I'm a big fan of these Benoit, Kevin Sullivan brawls. Uh, they seem to, uh, Benoit seems to get the best out of Sullivan. Like, I don't like Kevin Sullivan. I, I find him weird and annoying. <laughs> I don't think I get him. If anything, uh, but these matches for me are the best. I've not seen, you know, a lot of Kevin Sullivan's career, but this is the best stuff I've ever seen from him easily. To be honest, I'm looking at my ratings on Grapple, and I wasn't thinking of it in Match of the Night terms. I gave it 3.25, and actually, I think that's as high as I go on any match on the show. Not that I don't enjoy the show for the variety, but actually, did you guys go higher than that, or, or similar? Three yeah. and a half. Yeah, 3.75 3. 3. 3. as well. 3.75. Oh, right, okay. I really enjoyed it, partly because I didn't like that Lucha match before. Hmm. And at that point, I was like, okay, I kind of need to see a good match at this stage. Yeah. So I don't say welcome either, and that's, I didn't think. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, was, was this the legit last match of Kevin Sullivan's career? As well? It wasn't. It was yeah, he came back he did in '99, I think. Oh, did he? Because remember, he did. He'd Jimmy, done indie stuff. Jimmy Jacobs, no, no, he used the spike as a weapon. He got that from Kevin Sullivan in a match, um, like a passing of the torch type thing on the indies. I always remember that. But I did wonder whether it was his last WCW match. Did he do WCW in '99? I think they so. Said... Yeah, maybe '99, 2000. He didn't. He might have come back for a match, maybe against Shane Douglas. Uh, okay, I don't. don't that was worth coming out of retirement for, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I always like Shay Douglas. Always a fun promo. A terrible wrestler, though. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> Surprisingly good commentator. Oh, some of those easy shows when he's injured. The end of the, the towards the end of Nitro, he does a couple of um, shows. No, when he was in like that. What was the faction called? Rebellion or Revolution? When he was with um, Malenko and Benoit and all them, he, he does a couple of commentary runs. Them very good. Do you know when Kevin Sullivan's last match was? Go on. Uh, 2019 versus Brian <laughs> Pillman Jr. <laughs> and there's oh, right, another the uh, No, in where where is this? Uh, it's what promotion is this? Uh, ECCW in Canada in Vancouver. Can't uh, get enough Kevin Sullivan in Vancouver. It's no, so yeah. ironic considering his career was made in Florida. Uh, completely miles away from him. He was also in Battle Riot in 2018, apparently, on MLW. There we go. 20 JP, you yeah. remember that? 23 years later. He's, uh, <laughs> no, it's that big wrestling. Battle Royal show they do. Yeah, I know that, but you must remember Kevin Sullivan in there. <laughs> I don't remember moment. it, but it seems completely plausible. <laughs> uh, anyway, speaking of a, uh, a change of pace, <laughs> we next have <sighs> our US title match, Jeff Jarrett and Steve McMichael. Yeah. Mongo is what, is um, what the oh, fuck is he wearing? Oh dear the, god! The all white, yeah. It's not a. And oh. the, it's kind of his, his hair's at its biggest as well, looking a bit like uh, what my hair looks like at the moment. It's a, uh, it's a rough look <laughs> for Jeff Jarrett at this period. I love the, his I'll entrance. Be great. Go on. I was just gonna say his entrance theme's great. I enjoy that, 
But, <laughs> yeah, I think this it's, is one of his worst looks. Do you not agree? Uh, yeah, it's awful. Like, Jeff's music sounded like it was like a backing track for a Dolly Parton B-side that didn't make an album or something. <laughs> he never re- recorded the lyrics for it. But I was watching this, looking at Jeff's hair, thinking, Jeff, Mongo, you both got long hair. Jeff, why don't you just do the air versus air match a year early? Get out of the way in WCW. No need to do it at SummerSlam night. You know? Just get rid of that fucking mop now. He looked awful. He just didn't fit in either, did he, in this era of WCW? Like, I know they were, that was kind of the story with the horseman as well, but it felt real life. He just, because they were teasing him when he, when he first came in. I think the idea is he was going to be the NWO's, like, fifth or sixth man. Uh, and then, kind of, he, he got delayed coming in, I think, and they ended up just having him assigning him with the horseman. And he was just kind of, and I hate saying this about one of our heroes, he was just kind of bland in this era of WCW, Jared, oh, okay. wasn't he? He just didn't fit. He was such a square peg round hole. I completely agree, and I'm sorry that, you know, I really apologise to jokes. obviously he's the greatest NWA champion of all time, but um, <laughs> yeah, I just don't think he fit in WCW or WF in these time periods at all for me. I just felt he, he, he completely was out of place, and then when Russo tried bringing him back and making him champion in WCW, that really didn't go down at all. It was an overpush, but I liked it. I think it, he shouldn't have been world champion, but I kind of liked his slap nuts era character. Uh, I don't know, maybe I was just, uh, you know... I thought he was all right in WWE once he cut his hair. Like, when he was with Deborah and he did the thing with Owen Hart, mm. that, like, sort of year period, I actually think he's he's pretty good and he's got the character down. He's got a bit of, kind of, I suppose, attitude, for lack of a better term, to the mm. character at that point in time his looks better it's just the look here so it just feels like something that he should have been doing in uswa in 1989 or something (laughs) rather than 97 wcw ultimately that's the period he fits in because if you think about it he never really fitted in in tna because all the times they try to push him as champion wrestling had kind of moved on and people wanted to see different types of wrestlers that were more spectacular that was the stuff that was getting that kind of indie buzz in the early 2000s so he's always kind of been out of time and place apart from late 80s uswa where he's kind of tailor-made for that really isn't he and the hair and he had that same look there pretty much apart from that obviously that all white um what's it striped down thing abomination that he's wearing. <laughs> it is an abomination jv it's yeah. awful i have to admit i i am might be the high man on this i gave this two stars because i found myself laughing at mongo <laughs> mcmichael the entire <laughs> way through what are you going to say, Joe? Uh, no, I just I didn't hear what JP said. Sorry, mate. I said I gave it two stars because Mongo McMichael just made me laugh. I was just laughing watching Mongo McMichael. For me, he's my favourite bad wrestler ever. Like <laughs> Better than Shane McMahon. Uh, oh, that's, that's a good one. Shane's great. Shane's the fucking man. Come on. But, yeah, maybe there's a contest. That's a dream match is Mongo versus Shane. Yeah. But, um, there's something about Mongo. It's the sunglasses, them boots, that jacket, that long ponytail. He's got great shit talk. Like I would, I'd love to. Was Mongo a member of that rappers crap group? I can't remember. No, he wasn't. No, no, he wasn't. He should have been in that. I reckon <laughs> he'd have, he'd have been fucking brilliant in that group. Like, there's just something about his promos that just made me laugh time and time again. And he's kind of confident considering he's shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
it's almost like he owns how shit he is, mm. but he kind of believes in himself. The thing that made me laugh about this as well is when I was watching this, and my girlfriend was in the room. She's watched a lot of Total Divas uh, over the years, and she looked at me and said, oh, is that Uncle Brett? Because she knows Brett Art from Total Divas is Natalia's uncle, and thought <laughs> Brett Art, which did make me laugh. And I thought, actually, there is a bit of a resemblance there, mm-hmm. now you say that, which I'd never thought about before. Not inside the ring, mate. That's where those different... That's where those similarities completely end. Not outside the ring either, because that was another like Flair's was always a big Mongo guy. Because apparently, Mongo would uh, shut down the hotel bars quite often. I can imagine them too. Of course, they were. There's a surprise. Yeah, having a few whiskeys or whatever. Uh, you had yeah. the complete transformation, aren't you? I mean, didn't he ref that um, one of the tag cluster matches at TNA, and he's had a complete transformation, Mongo? Yeah. What's I don't know like? if any of you guys remember that one. No. Vaguely. What 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 happened? He um, refereed, um, you know, when it was like beer money and AJ and Chris Daniels and LAX and them, and they all had and Dudleys, and they all had uh, a big tag team match, and then Mongo uh, was a special guest referee, and he's like completely ballooned, and he, he was almost unrecognisable. I thought. I bet he stole the show, though, mate. Oh, yeah, he did. Because <laughs> I was watching this as well, thinking to myself, you never hear about Mongo. Like I've, I've heard before that apparently on the ESPN 30 for 30 on the 1985 Bears, he's all over that. And it's like classic Mongo. JP, have you seen that one? No, that's the one I haven't seen yet. I'm, I'm, I have to watch that for a bit of Mongo. Again, I was thinking, Janella, if he wants to get someone in for a spring oh. break, please get Mongo in. The pop, if I was there, the pop I'd throw for Mongo when that horse with music hits and he comes out in that jacket, ponytail waving in the wind. Oh, it'd be a great day. <laughs> what a man. <laughs> Yeah, I was. Uh, he kind of he turned up at it. I was watching randomly the the Bam Bam Bigelow Lawrence Taylor match from WrestleMania 11. He's even oh, he's there. there he's there. He's one of the players uh, backing him up. I love that. Um, but yeah, this was as far as the match. This was it was just a non match with a non finish. I'm going one and a half, so I'm lower than UJP. Uh, but I did. I enjoyed it. it, it I, I enjoyed it. One for Irie. It's shit. But two for like the the post match as well. Like Deborah tens on Steve McMichael. And, like, I assume this is the storyline supposed to be she's shagging Jarrett because they have, like, the least sexual hug I've ever seen after the match. Like, <laughs> like almost like Jarrett's too scared to disrespect Mongo and, like, do anything more with his wife. I think the implication is they're shagging each other, but they don't do a very good job of uh, portraying it on TV. They uh, worked together for years, didn't they? Because, obviously, they worked together. Of course, um, yeah, he kind of carries on with it. Oh, in heart story. It's interesting, oh, that, isn't it, that she makes it over that, to DDB and Mongo never does? Yeah, it's a great shame. Mm, a real one. <laughs> he was made for the Attitude Era with Steve. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. He Best wasn't match. made for the TNA era, I tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> but he's made for the Joey Janela era. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. If you're out there, Joey, sort it out. So if anyone knows him, have a word. Um, following up, then, we got um, our big mystery partner tag that have been teased over the uh, the Nitros over the, uh, the weeks. Uh, Randy Savage and Scott Hall against DDP and his... Mystery partner is Kurt Hennig, who kind of... I don't know whether it's the dubbed network, but he seems to come out to not much reaction. Yeah. Um, and he's also, like, he's got a singlet down, and it's like, mate, put your singlet back up, because he looks... Like, you know, I, I've been in isolation for a few weeks, lad, so I wouldn't deny I put a few pounds on these last few weeks. Kurt Hennig looks a bit podgy uh, at this point in time. Probably not the time to pull that singlet down, mate. It, uh, it wasn't his best look. And yeah, he just... Because he, he cuts like a... On the Nitro before this, he cuts a heel promo as well. So like, 
he was never going to get cheered. If anything, he made DDP look stupid picking a heel as his partner. He was inevitably going to turn on him. We need to talk about that as well, because that really doesn't go to plan either. But yeah, I thought it was kind of, yeah, really odd to go with heel Hennig as uh, DDP's partner, as much as I enjoyed like the Raven tease and the, uh, the build-up to it. Yeah, and also Hall sort of like points out his uh, punch, doesn't he, at the start of the match? Does he? He's sort of like, yeah, yeah, he's flexing he and then he sort of like gives him a bit of a pat on the belly. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he comes out like uh, it's smoking, like the smoke's coming out the machine as well, so you can't even see him on his entrance. It just, for me, it doesn't work. Shivoni um, says he's, the, he's it, no, is it Heenan says he's in the best shape of his career? I heard that, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's just not much of a match either, is it? Uh, it's just, no. it's a bit of a flub. Like I said, the, the flub, the finish, where um, DDP is supposed to pull the top rope down, not realizing that it's Kurt Hennig coming towards the ropes, and Hennig's supposed to take that bump over the top and literally can't, just hits the ropes and falls and, and gets to the floor, and then on the floor of all places turns on DDP. It was just, yeah, just so badly put together and odd. What a weird thing for uh, yeah, Kurt Hennig after his Lloyds of Lo- cashing in his Lloyds of London, makes his big return, and it's this. Considering- yeah, it's not good at all. No, it's it's the worst match of the night for me. Ooh. I think I've, I might have gone one and a half, and that feels, it just like feels overly like an angle. generous. Yeah, it is. and considering all the TV and the build-up, they've done a really good job of building up this angle. But they mm. introduced him too early. They didn't need to introduce him at all because they had Raven. But the crowd wanted Sting. Yeah, that's what they wanted. That's where the storyline was going. Mm. And if that had Sting drop down in the center, few sort of shots in. Um, and then the DDT and maybe the Scorpion Deathlock, then that would have been an, that would have been awesome. Mm, but they didn't so get that. And it was one of those booking kind of decisions where you've gone, you've got someone in here that you've kind of snapped up because you can get them. And you've put them into this situation and it haven't really explained it. And it doesn't make sense. Like having him with Flair and the Horseman stuff makes sense. Mm-hmm. Logically, as a storyline to build on from their, their matches in, the, in WWF at that point in time. But here, it was, it, it, there was like sort of no reason. And like you say, it just made DDP look stupid. Mm-hmm. And one thing I also hate, at the end of the match, like it's the ray, it's the um, razor's edge and then the elbow. And then Savage stands on his chest. And I always hate that mm-hmm. as a look. Like, and it was awful. It was like, way ago, you've had this hot TV in the build up to this. And you've just killed it with some shit book- booking more than anything else. Yeah, perfect. Hennig was completely washed up at this point, and I just found him completely bone idle in the matches he did, and then he, his promos even seemed like they were from a different era. Mm, yeah, just... I think he's one of the most overrated wrestlers of all time, full stop. Like, I'm not saying he's bad, uh, but I, I think even during his prime years, I think, yeah, he was a great bumper, and he could do some stuff, but I never get the hype. I never get when, when people put him next to like Brett and Sean, on that sort of level. And like when you hear Guerrero and Benoit mentioned, he's mentioned in the same kind of sentence. I'm like, ah, he was nowhere near any of them, but even at this state, he should, should never have come back. Think about Indian summers. The guys have had after an absence. You think of Shawn Michaels as the prime example. If mm-hmm. any, this, it, like, he just wasn't there at all. I find when you see him in WWE and he had that run in like 2002, didn't oh, he? Yeah. The the Rumble. Run, didn't he looked he? better than what he did here. Yeah. And, and don't forget, we got the rapper's crap era as well. Uh, yeah, true. But yeah, I don't know. Not, not. He should never have come back for me. 
What did you, you give do it? You get the sense that he's a guy that everybody backstage loves, and I think especially like Hall, Mash, and Michaels all thought he was great, and I think he taught them a lot like earlier on in the careers, didn't he? Yeah. So I feel like he's like a guy that they all want to hang around with backstage. That's true. Yeah, Hall were very close, weren't they, through AWA? Yeah, when they Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. I gave it a star. What do you give it, uh, guys? I know JP, you're you're the high man, I think. Or are you? Inexplicably, shouldn't be one and a half. <laughs> yeah, one, one, Martin. yeah, one or dud. Whatever you want it, yeah, it's yeah. just, just non existent. It's like Joe said, it's just more of an angle than a match. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Meltzer gives it a dud. Uh, but yeah, angle pretty much is what this was. Uh, we then went into uh, one thing I wanted to notice as well. Did you know, did you even notice Liz was out there? What a non entity Liz is at this point in, like, oh, in her man. career. The like, whole way WCW, yeah. At this point, though, I, I think she's so much hotter than she was when she's wearing an innocent little dress in, like, 1991 in WWF. I quite like the sort of, like, edgy look she's got going on here. JP, how do you feel about that? <laughs> I would agree with you on that one. Yeah. She's a complete non-entity. I mean, she appeared to get quite... She was on big money, certainly six figures. Mm. And she really doesn't do anything. She just looks confused in all the segments. And all <laughs> yeah. She's always looked confused, in like, fairness. Yeah, she's she? following Savage around, isn't she? And waiting for like a, an instruction or what to do. But they're not even together sense. at this point, are they? Yeah. She gets with Luger, doesn't she? And then that's the downfall of her, yeah. sadly. They do, there, is, there is one thing she does on a Nitro. Do you remember that angle where like Bischoff literally books himself to neck for her for like five minutes? Like That's literally the angle. Him, oh, and, him, and, him and Liz necking each other in the stands. Pretty terrible. Didn't they even get her doing cat fights and stuff? And it was like she wasn't the performer to be doing things like that. No, no. That's she it. grasped up Goldberg to the old Bill on the 4th of Jan 99, though, didn't she? On the finger, poop, finger poke of doom episode. Oh, yeah, stalking her. Oh yeah, yeah that was the, the story. Police, wasn't she? That's why he gets yeah. arrested. It takes Goldberg about three hours to get from a police station that's across <laughs> the road. <laughs> it's a great, great episode. That because I, I, I'm at my birthday is the fourth of January. I remember there was one birthday a few years ago where I watched the Tokyo Dome show, and then I watched the fourth uh, of January '99 episode of Raw and the fourth of January Nitro episode as well. It was a particularly great birthday. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Like, the WCW Nitro for that night is, is like, kind of shit, but kind of great at the same time. Like, it's great car crash kind of wrestling. Well, speaking of uh, shit, but kind of great, you know what, lads? I went into yep. this next match expecting to hate it, Piper yeah. and Flair. I don't know if I'm going to turn out to be the high man here, but as far as, like, a two old men... Forgetting the storyline that came before it and just going out there and Flair's basically the babyface and they're doing like a sports entertaining, smoking mirrors kind of bullshit match. I actually really enjoyed it. Like this is my, this, you mentioned before, Joe, what, Heat and Piper in this run and I did too. I don't know if this might be his high moment other than maybe, yeah, the, you know, the, the maybe the, the stuff with Kevin Green. But other than that, like this was... This was this was actually to me. I thought it was good. I gave I gave it three stars on Grapple. I don't know if I'm really high on that, but I, I kind of enjoyed it for the kind of bullshit schmozzy match it was. No, I, went... I completely agree, Benno, and I gave it three as well. But is it me or does Piper just literally no sell like every sort of like finishing move here and kicks <laughs> out of absolutely everything? Even yeah. Flair like putting his legs on the rope. He no sells that as well. Yeah, he does. Oh, what were you gonna say, I... Joe? For me, I went two point seven five. Um. And I thought that, yeah, I could have gone three, 
Uh, I think it was the finish that made me go lower because I hate his sleeper hold. Oh, it's the oh, worst. I think Terrible. it's absolute shite and oh. it just makes anyone who loses to it look bad. So, so loose. Yeah. yeah. So loose. There's no pressure. Yeah. yeah. And I just think at this point in time, it was the best you could have got out of Piper. And it shows that Flair so had some, some, some real ability at this point in time, considering he was getting on for his late 40s. Like, I thought that the match got by on charisma because Piper has zero athleticism. He's not athletic in the slightest. Like, for me at this point, if Piper was really serious about wrestling, he should have adapted his style because the thing he's good at is strikes and flurries of strikes and doing them in, like, a sort of fast motion. And I was watching this thinking, like, as he moves around the ring, the person he's most reminded me of here is the Necro Butcher. I know that's a weird comparison, <laughs> but you know that kind of like awkward, drunken old, like broken down style the Necro Butcher would sort of move around the ring with. Mm. Like I could see some of that in Piper's movement, and I was just thinking, like you should have gone down this kind of like quick spurts, like drunken brawler style. And I actually think it would have worked better for you. But what I'll say for him is he looks like he's really, really trying here. Like, he looks like he's really trying to work hard to kind of keep up with Flair and get something out of this, if anything. But also, did you notice how he missed a couple of spots at points and how he was out of position for bits as well? Oh, I didn't. Flair. Okay, so when Benoit comes out of the end... Oh, yeah. And Piper... He stares at Mongo, doesn't he? And... Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there was another point in the match as well where you could see Flair was kind of like, what's he doing? <laughs> like, it just looked like Piper was quite hard to work with. Like, it was a challenge to work with him at this point in time. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was the best they could have done the situation. But again, Piper, for me, is kind of go-away heat. But... Again, I think he could have got something out of this if he really fought outside the box a little bit and just re changed his style up. Look at someone like Jericho and what he's done with his style the last few years to sustain his career and eke it out that little bit more. Piper should have been doing it here. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. and again, that, that sleeper finish is just, it's such a letdown at the end of a match. I used to hate it, you know, I used to play, uh, I don't know if any of you guys had WCWNWO Revenge, and it was so mm. lame that that was Piper's finish in that game, because it was just a, a throwaway move that you gave to everyone else. It just didn't work in 1997, uh, and neither did Piper in general. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we got like the big Benoit and Mongo run into the finish, and yeah, again, better than any right it had to be. Like I say, I went three. Uh, you went three as well, did you say, Martin? Did you say that? Yeah, yeah, because I, yeah. I completely agree, Benner. It's expectation going into this, thinking it's going to be an actual stinker. And then I also, mm. I mean, mentioned the crowd a few times, but also they are, like, on fire for the majority yeah. of this match, and I think it elevates it to a, you know, a higher level than it might have been if the crowd was a bit more tepid. Absolutely. Well, speaking of the crowd being up for it, so I went two and a half on it. Oh, were you low man? Sorry, JP, it, wasn't your, it was your rank we didn't get. Two and a half. It was all right. Yeah, two and a half on it. Not good. Mm. Let's be fundamentally clear about this. This isn't a good match, but it's given the build up and given, I think, what I expected, mm. I thought this was going to be so much worse. JP, does Roddy Piper peak for you and they live? Yeah, he does. He absolutely does. And I've seen that hell comes to Frogtown. He, he <laughs> completely peaks in they live. That's just like the kind of best exemplification. You know, if he went off and that's what he did for the rest of his career, then. He would have been perfect, but he shouldn't have come back at this point in time. But he drew them loads of money. Mm. But like you say, everything, everything you said about him, him is shit. Yeah, but he is shit. 
let's be brutal. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you should have gone down the Joe Hendry route with his Scottish roots and sort of done traditional <laughs> wrestling. You know, represent them at the Commonwealth Games, <laughs> along with bagpipe playing. He even started to believe his own bullshit, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he really did. I remember as a kid kind of thinking that, like, he's Scottish, but he hasn't got a Scottish accent. Something stinks mm. about this. Yeah, I was confused <laughs> by that. Yeah. Uh, odd. Well, like you said, Molten Crow for that one. Even more Molten Crow for our main event. Again, probably not a quote-unquote good match, but I had a great time watching this main event. From Michael Buffer's intros to getting to hear that Luger music one more time, to Robin coming out with Hogan. Honestly, I thought as far as the debut match, I thought Robin was great. I really did. I thought he was great at working the crowd. I thought he was great at kind of teasing, you know, for a few minutes until he finally got in the ring and started hitting some stuff. You know, his stuff didn't look perfect, but you can tell he's a professional athlete, can't you? That's the difference. Mm. Like, he's someone who's used to, you know, he's a sportsman. uh, And I think those kind of people are always going to find it easier to get into wrestling. He He got a good jump on his leapfrog. I enjoyed that. Uh, and all in all, I actually thought he was uh, he was pretty good in the match for a for a complete novice, and he he didn't show himself up either. I uh, I, re- I I don't know what star rating is going to be an interesting conversation, but as far hmm. as actual enjoyment, I got a lot of enjoyment out of this main event personally. I did. It's kind of like the last match in that it's really terrible, but you don't have a flair in there, and and so I went two stars on this because like you. It's really bad. And that endless stalling at the start started to do my fucking head in. <laughs> oh, I like that. I after that a while. I, there, there was a point, but it was... When Hogan is in there for the vast majority of the time, I was just looking at him. And he's... Do you know what? As shit as he was, he's trying for this. <laughs> like, this is one of those rare occasions where you suspect he's putting in a bit of a shift for it. But he was the workhorse. <laughs> I thought Luger was the workhorse in the match. I thought it was Robin. <laughs> <laughs> He's no, arguably the best of them. <laughs> he might be, you know, out of these four. <laughs> I think it, there's an argument to be made there. No, Luger had it. Luger in his prime. He a lot prime. more than I thought, Rodman. <laughs> yeah, that's that true. I like Luger in his prime, though. I thought he was all right in the early 90s. He was, a, he was just a big muscle-bound idiot who could be carried, but he could be carried. I never liked him. I never <laughs> liked him when I first started seeing WCW, and that never changed. Well, I liked make... him around this time period just because of the crowd reactions he was getting, and then that title mm. when he had uh, over Hogan finally yeah. getting his number. Oh, I think for this one, up. though, it is just pure spectacle. I, I can't even believe you've managed to rate it because it's just the fact <laughs> that you've got one of the most prominent members of one of the most famous sports franchises <laughs> having a wrestling match and I mean it goes on a bit too long doesn't it I mean but this crowd just goes absolutely insane for everything Rodman does an arm drag explosion oh, Rodman yeah. does a leapfrog explosion oh. and the fucking commentators are having an absolute orgasm over it aren't they? like <laughs> oh my god Rodman's doing this and he's doing that and I'm like well actually he's not doing a great deal but it's still brilliant but it, I don't know how you can rate this match because it is just pure spectacle and like just like you said, loads of stalling at the start until Rodman jumps in with an arm drag. <laughs> did you did you read uh, Melter's comment, uh, JP, in the Observer, where he said something about do you reckon? Do you reckon they have to teach Lex Luger how to do an arm drag as well? How to take one? <laughs> I, I think so. <laughs> it was it his really first time did. too, probably. They were the highlights of that first ten minutes, but it's it's the crowd, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's like the, it's like those occasions. The, the other match I always think of it is when he had the Rock and Hogan. 
not a good match in any way, but the crowd oh, kind of. That's a good oh, match. it's a great. Match. I think I think it's one of the best WWE matches ever. It, but it's 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 the crowd that kind of lifted up. Well, so is Hogan Warrior. Same thing, isn't it? same principle. Yeah, exactly, and 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 they've done that here, so it feels. And like again, like the last match said earlier on, I thought this was going to be so so bad, and I just found myself glued to it and captivated. And then I didn't. And again, couldn't remember the the finish, so I was really surprised at the end. Yeah, Luke I was like, got oh, all right. I, I thought yeah, Hogan Luke... would easily dodge the uh, the job in this one. I thought Giant was going down. And it, were they were they close to the end of their pay per view time? Because they just appeared to cut it short really quickly after. Always <laughs> used to do that on these old pay per views in WCW. I find like mm. always feels like they go right to the end. Mm. They they were perfectly set up to do a little post show for ten minutes afterwards. Mm. They had that as well, but obviously they would never do anything like that. That was a big yeah. They were always thing, bad for finishers around this time period, especially around ninety seven, ninety eight. They were always they'd like build up all these matches, and then the finishers were always shit, weren't they? Yeah, and yeah. like every nitro would end with like the crowd pelting the ring with garbage, and oh, like Shivani oh, shouting, oh, "One out of time, one out of time." I love it as a visual. I think it's great. Oh, it looks so. There's good. some right Joe lemons in this crowd, isn't there? I'm sure, <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> yeah. right on the top of the noggin, mate. I'm a better shot than a lot of these lads, I tell you. Like, I was watching it thinking, no, nowhere near, nowhere near. Like, a bit more accuracy, they'd be all right. But, like, full things of popcorn and full yeah. drinks going flying in there. Like, I love this atmosphere. Like, I'm not going to lie. I think in 2006, when I was like, should I throw this bottle? I think that there might have been a little flashback to WCW yeah. during this era that went through my head. <laughs> Subconsciously, it made me think, right, fucking do it. Because... It looks not your fault. It's Hogan's, is it? It it is, mate. It really is the twat. But (laughs) it it just makes for such a great atmosphere. Like there's just something about it that makes me enjoy this more and makes it stand out. Because imagine this now. Like you're not getting away with throwing shit in the (laughs) ring now. But it'd be great if a few things went flying in the ring occasionally, wouldn't it? (laughs) We got a visual like this. You know, they talk about in WWE all the time. Like I saw some bollocks tweet by someone today. Was it? Oh, who was it? I was having a look at someone earlier, and they were talking about if um, Spud wins the um, whatever that tournament is, and then Jordan Devlin turns up and beats him, and it'd be great heat for Jordan Devlin. I'm like, oh, this fucking company and their love of fucking heat. No one's got heat. No one gets heat. What this is is fucking heat with stuff going in the ring at the end of the match, but people coming back week after week. I know that obviously stopped eventually but yeah it, it's something that i really miss in wrestling is that sort of stuff that shit going flying the ring is great mm. I maybe I... wcw crowds should have just you know they were just big fans of puerto rico at the time and just wanted to emulate <laughs> what the fans did there I, i've seen interviews with scott hollow because this starts the bash of the beach the year before 96 when hogan turns and like yeah. I, i've seen interviews with scott hollow where he said how disgusted he was by the fans throwing garbage and how he thought security should have done a better job and it's like mate that makes that that segment if Hogan's not getting pelted yeah. with half-filled, you know, cups of diapepsi or whatever, like that, that segment's nowhere near as good. Uh, I'm glad and we these, all agree. And these crowds are ready to do it at the drop of a hat. Anything, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> anything, bang, fuck it, chuck it in. <laughs> even when, the, even when they're enjoying it, the worst. Sorry, Benno. I was just going to say, even when it's a babyface reaction, they do it like when yeah. the babyfaces are on top. <laughs> They'll be cheering and lobbing stuff in it simultaneously. And you're like, I don't know, what emotion are you lot feeling? Is this happiness? I can't quite tell. 
What are we going to say about that? Like the worst things were that have been thrown at him, and he said he, he once got a, like a full fucking cup full of like chewing backy that they'd spat oh, out oh under his God. face, and then someone threw like a, a triple D battery at him or something. Oh, Jesus! <laughs> yeah, I draw the line of that. You know, a cup a cup of diet coke. That, yeah, you know, that's fine. That's or an empty water bottle, Joe. Or an empty water bowl, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Plastic. Yeah, uh, it was it was empty though, mate. So it would have been all right. It would have been. Don't you worry. Yeah, it looks like it bounced off his head quite lightly. So you know, not too bad. They um, kind of shot themselves in the foot though, didn't they? Because they didn't they do a few where fans jumped the ring, but they were plants, and then fans start genuinely really jumping in the ring. Yeah. yeah, there was that angle where Sting was supposed to come down and face off with Bischoff, and then a couple of fans jumped in. And it was like a couple of weeks before Starcade 97 and Bischoff just had stand there as the show went off the air looking like a complete idiot. <laughs> wow. Yeah, they brought the thing was like, I'm not going down to the ring with fans jumping in. I was going to say, on the finish of that main event as well, with Hogan getting racked again. Oh, the racked. like twice in the, in the same month or within the, like sort of a short period of time where he loses the that. that um, Chicago Nitro with Rodman coming out as well, didn't he? And then he tapped for the title. So three yeah, when is the title change? Yeah. I can't remember when the title right change. American is. Bash, is it? No, no it's not a Nitro. Nitro. It's Nitro the first three oh, hours they did. I think they did a 5.0 for the first time with it. And, and then he loses it back. Like, he, does he lose it back a week later, if I'm rightly? Yeah. Uh, I, I wonder whether like Hogan just kind of. It was uh, August the 4th, so not long after this, uh, about a month after, uh, 1997. I wonder whether Hogan just wasn't threatened by Luger. It was kind of like, yeah, I'll put him over. Because, yeah. I'm one, I'm going to get my win back because he's too dumb to politic against me. And two, ah, it's only Lex Luger. He's not going to take my spot. He did seem overly willing, though, yeah, to, to, to tap to the rack and to, uh, to put Luger over. It's perfect because it fits in like the giant, doesn't it? It's the kind of people you'd want to work with because they'd be easily manipulable. Mm. Manipulatable. <laughs> if that's a word even, I don't know. It's in there. Yeah. Easy to manipulate, mate. Yeah, that's the one. It's so ridiculous. That's the thing, though. They did this so many times, and the fucking oh, commentary yeah. were like, oh, my God, it's Sting, it's Sting, it's Sting. And it was like, no, it's not Sting. Sting <laughs> is not that at all. I mean, for one thing, he steps over the top rope. Like, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's fucking massive. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was big into Sting at this period. Like, I was an unabashed Sting fanboy. I... I think I, you hear a lot of older heads or people who go back and watch this retrospectively you don't enjoy the Sting stuff because it's a bit repetitive but like every Nitro where Sting was coming from the ceiling or there were multiple Stings or he was coming through the crowd coming from under the ring they were kind of like the four options really but I enjoyed it every week and yeah this was a this was an interesting uh, thing I mean it's so obviously Nash uh, that I feel like it had to be supposedly obviously Nash. What was even the payoff to that? Like, what, where were they going with that? Like, was it even explained? I don't know. They did it loads. They did, did it loads with Nash and then obviously Jeff Farmer and W.O. Sting. But I do agree, yeah. Benno. I, I did love it when, I mean, they overdid it, especially leading in mm. Starcade. But mm. um, I did, especially uncensored when he finally came down and made his decision about what side he's on. The crowd goes absolutely batshit crazy. Yeah, that is a great moment from this time period as well yeah I, I i think when you talk about sting as like a you know when the observer hall of fame when it when it used to come up you know does he belong in it is he a hall of famer and the, the problem with sting was always the drawing card thing wasn't it because like you can say like he was wcw's top guy but he wasn't really a drawer as wcw's top guy 
whether it's me looking through it with like 12, 13 year old eyes in 1996 and 1997, Sting was fucking over during this period. And while they only really popped one huge pay-per-view buy rate with Starcade, I would say he's as big as, not as big a part of the NWO, but I think he's a big part of the puzzle in why Nitro mm-hmm. did so well over these two years. Yeah, he was the one. He was the one mega baby face that they had on the WCW side. Mm. They did a really good job with Paige, as we've already said. But he was the mega, mega baby face at that point. Um, mm. I was going to say on the first on the episode of the Nitro afterwards, at the beginning of the show, they show the like stills of Nash, and they go, "Well, that's clearly Kevin Nash." All oh, right, that they okay. end up saying, which they didn't say at the time, obviously, no, no, even no. though you knew instantly once you could see. It, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> All the work he did as well. We talk about him being the smartest man. How long was he out there for? <laughs> Zero <laughs> bumps. Yeah. <laughs> he got his pay-per-view payoff. You know that. Straight out of it. And he would have said, I was on the pay-per-view. I'll <laughs> do that crowd. Yeah. Uh, and Absolute thoughts, piss thoughts taker. On the Brilliant. show or, or that closing angle or just... Uh, just the end was a bit like they'd lost and then Rodman was just like, ah, well. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Oh, he got wrapped Did you notice as well, when Rodman had taken offence, there was that bit where he was on the outside and they were sort of like, macho man was sort of trying to console him. Did you see Rodman laughing while he was selling? Was he? Yeah. Yeah. He looked like he was just loving it. It was almost like they told him like, oh, he did a good job of selling that. And he was sort of like, oh, cheers. Like, it was it was so odd because he was like sort of holding his back, but there was a big smile on his face as he was running around the ring at the same time. The time it, it made me like him even more, to be honest. Oh, what did you give it, actually? We haven't asked that because it it's a tough one to rate, like you said, man. Two. I gave it two and a half because I enjoyed it two. so much, but I can understand it too. Did you even rate it, Martin? No, but yeah, sure, too. Why not? I, just, <laughs> I, I, I don't understand. I, I can't put a star rating to it it was just pure spectacle yeah it was mm. a, almost like a big angle in a way wasn't it it was just all about rob it was the well, spectacle of fun, like, you did say it was tons of fun yeah definitely uh, anything else fun happened on that nitro after jv no i've only got my way through the the start actually um it's like you say michael buffett introducing the nitro girls oh was that they have a big segment in the ring i it thought was your nitro girl by now i Oh, I would say I, think I never had one. Wasn't to be honest, at all. controversial opinion: Kimberly was the only fit one. Sorry. Mm. Well, we're late enough in the podcast that I can say that, and I can be a horrible yeah. sexist. But I, did, um, I never really um, liked the Nitro Girls. I, I just think yeah, they were a bit, bit bland. I was starting to make some. They were bland. They were all. I mean, like, there's a. I know why they did it because they would just. You'd come back from an ad break and they'd just be on. I much preferred it that regardless of whatever was going on in the ring, when it was hour two of Nitro, just fucking flares would start going off and the rest of it. <sighs> I enjoy that period of WCW because you just think. Ray Mysterio is in the ring, just looking on at the entrance way, going, "What the fuck is going on?" <laughs> oh, when, when they when they when they move to three two, hours, when they move which to is three basically hours. Bobby Heenan's on instead of Larry Zabisco, <laughs> and the fireworks like, exploded and it all. Yeah, like the thing is though, when they went to three hours, I feel like an hour of the show was just the Nitro Girls dancing. They love throwing to the Nitro Girls and having them do a little uh, jig for five minutes. On my notes, I've just got world premiere of the Nitro Girls and underneath different times. <laughs> <laughs> You're always more of a Medusa man, even at this point, weren't well, you? Well, exactly, yeah. Always, yeah, at that point in time, it just wasn't, it, it just it was complete fluff and filler and give Kimberly Page something to do. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah. And it gave, it gave uh, Sean Michaels a wife as well, so there's also that. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, I always thought to myself, Bischoff... You know, the rumours about his sex life. 
<laughs> and then all the boys, like the Nitro girls, clearly were brought in as almost like, here you go, lads. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. that always felt to me like it was very much the approach. There's all the rumours about Nash and one of them as well. And Did he used to get changed in their locker room? <laughs> I've heard something about that before. That was the story. Of course you did. <laughs> and I was like, of course it is. It's one of the most Kevin Nash stories there is. <laughs> Hopefully, if 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 the world can get on with tackling coronavirus, he'll he'll celebrate the ending of the coronavirus by spending his New Year's this year in Southampton. <laughs> Fingers crossed. We can ask him about it then, AJP. Eh, <laughs> exactly. Oh, we can only hope. Uh, one thing I was gonna say: it's hard to get like um, full numbers on it, but I noticed Mucky Garner and his old Indeed Wrestling site tried to collate. Um, a pay-per-view buy rate for all the WWE pay-per-views during this period. Like, it looks like Robin popped a number, but not as big as you would imagine. Mookie's mm. estimate is 325000 To put that into co- context, Great American Bash the month before was two twenty. Slamboree before that was two twenty. Spring Stampede was two ten. So there is a pop there, but I don't know. I was maybe more expecting, like... What they did for that Halloween Havoc show. Well, I think Starcade 97 is the highest. He got it here. 700,000. Yeah. Yeah. But even that Halloween Havoc show does 400,000. I wonder whether his numbers are right on that one. Because I would have expected uh, with all the well, interest Mel- it seemed to generate it. Meltzer talks about this. Because he, he said that normally they were doing around 200,000 for the pay-per-view buy rates. They mm. paid Rodman something like one and a half to two million dollars for three appearances. Mm. And once he... And this was like the first of them and I think there was another match as well which had to be done before the start of the new season in November um, or was it I think it's November when the basketball starts anyway um, and so they said they had to do something like 18 uh, it was like 84,000 extra buys mm. so they were hoping to get like 285 or something along those lines and so getting 320 is probably a little still a, more than they would have expected mm. yeah. well he was still coming and back and in, they in wanted 99 the mainstream, wasn't he yeah, and they wanted the mainstream publicity, didn't they? Mm. That was the it. thing I think they were really cry- craving for. And do you know what? At that point in time, it's like the Tyson stuff. It's it's a great get. Because if you think of all those, the players on that Chicago Bulls team, Rodman is the the best fit out of all of them to do anything like this. And he's the one they got in. Mm. Like you could get Jordan on a Nitro if you can ever would have got that. And he would have been absolutely awful because he wouldn't he have said was anything. too busy doing space jam during his off season well, exactly. Rob, yeah. robman was here hanging out with the lads what's exactly. the uh, what's the carl malone show with uh with robin and um beach boss 98 is it beach boss 98 i'm just wondering no bash it. at the beach rather is a bash at the beach uh 98 just looking yeah three hundred thousand for that one as well maybe not the back of draw we thought but hey should we review that one next what do you reckon <laughs> yeah definitely that's the goldberg wins the title at the georgia dam as well oh, interesting that could be a fun little period to check in on um any other thoughts on, on 1997 WCW then before we go? Uh, got a, a little one, bit of time. One last thing for me. I loved the trailer they showed for uh, for Road Wild. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're big into your Road Wild, Joe. Oh, it's great. Like, you just know that Eric Bischoff had so much power that he booked a show, a bike show that he basically just wanted to go to yep. and hang out with his mates and like he was cool for a weekend. Yeah. It, I, I just find the atmosphere there bizarre and intriguing and i like weird atmospheres for wrestling shows uh none of the shows are that great because the crowd are absolute shit but yeah kind of funny and also incredibly racist aren't they <laughs> yeah oh, <laughs> sounds about right mm. uh, maybe we need to do a robot show next it is the next pay-per-view <laughs> as advertised 1987 yeah. interesting uh anything else from you jp 
No, that's really. I mean, it was fun as a show to go back and watch. Oh, was that? But I suppose no big like, grapple ratings are the JP. No big like four star no, matches. But it was a the lot thing of that I noticed is like the matches that Meltzer thought were good. I thought were massive let were letdowns. Mm. They and the dated. Match, yeah, yeah, exactly. And the one that sort of stood up for me, the match of the night, was like by quite a distance, the match of the night in mm. terms of the Sullivan Benoit. Mm. How about you, Emma? Yeah, just real nostalgia trip and great. You know, obviously, you know, we've seen 10 times better wrestling, but, you know, sometimes it's good to just shut your brain off and watch sort of like, you know, this is the equivalent of a sort of like summer blockbuster compared to watching an indie film, isn't it? And, mm. you know, and it... And you can't talk about WCW without thinking, you know, how many missed opportunities they had and how they fucked up the Sting <laughs> Hogan thing at the end of the year and that. And it is just a big shame. But yeah, watching this time period and watching all the nitros leading up to it and that was um, a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so I did really enjoy looking back at this time period. Yeah, I'm sorry, JP. I've been watching a lot of All Japan from the 90s recently as well. And, you know, absolutely loving it. It's probably my favourite style of wrestling ever. And I watched that for work rate and psychology mm. and like multi-layered stories. And that's great. And that's, that's like the HBO drama of wrestling. Whereas when I'm watching this, this is this to me is like, I don't know, the EastEnders of wrestling, the light entertainment that's got, you know, some serious stuff in there occasionally. But there's a variety of characters and I'm not watching it for work rate. Mm. I'm watching it because I just love the time period. And for me, it shows what presentation atmosphere and the tone of a show can give to wrestling and how it can make wrestling fun if anything and this very much feels like a variety show and it's just so easy to watch and that's what makes it for me yeah same it was an absolute blast to watch felt like a, a real moment in time like i said we could we could probably could review any number of 1997 wcw pay-per-views but this for, for me it feels representative of the time as well you got a little bit of everything from the lucha guys to dennis robin being on there to nwo being all over the show to a great little time in ddp's babyface career it's a really good snapshot of why i love wcw so much in this period and again why i crossed over from being a, a little wwf fan to being a wcw fan so yeah again maybe not the most uh, grapply uh, star ratings of a show but a hell of a blast to watch and it only came in about what two hours 50 minutes as well uh same length as this yeah. podcast uh, coincidentally i don't uh, i don't mean to like sort of drag it out for even longer but i'm looking at what was going on in eastenders in 1997 <laughs> and some of the characters in here must Mark... have been leading up to but uh, let me can i have a can i have a guest jp 97 go on so I'm thinking um, David Wicks and Cindy would have had the affair around that time. Maybe 96. That was a big storyline, wasn't it? So Ian Bill getting shot. Was that 96 or was that 97? Oh, no, I'll tell you what. It would have been Cindy off in Italy when she went on a runner and Bill got a, a detective or a, a private eye. And him, Phil, Grant and this private eye went out to Italy to find his kids. Is that right? I think that's in. Yeah, I'm just having a look through now on Go the on. Wikipedia page, and I'm all over the place on here at the moment. When did Phil and Grant have that big fight over Sharon and? Ninety four, Christmas ninety four, where he ends up in the uh, in the the pit of the uh, the arches. Yeah, Christmas ninety four. There's one. all that Lorraine stuff as well. Who's going. that? Oh, what was her name? Um, she was the woman whose son was Paul Nichols. 
Oh yes, David Wick's ex-wife and the son had, like, had mental health issues, and it was way before the point that uh, soap opera knew how to represent mental health issues. Here we go. I've just got a list of. Sorry, Ben. I won't drag this out for too long. <laughs> That's okay. I promise you. On that year, you got Phil attends therapy for his drink problem. That went well. Um, Tiffany Mitchell gives birth <laughs> to Courtney. Sarah Hills and Robbie Jackson sleep together. Ted Hills attacks Robbie. Ricky and Bianca get married. Dot returns to Walford. Joe Wicks is sectioned. Courtney is christened. <laughs> um, Dot is held hostage. Kathy Quite leaves it. Phil for, after discovering his fair with Lorna while on holiday with Paris. I'm not sure who Lorna is. Oh, I remember uh, her. Um, she looks a bit like Shirley. She's quite hard-faced. Right. T- Tiffany and Grant renew the wedding vows. The Fowlers take a trip to Ireland. I'm, I'm worried about her. I remember that. that. When Pauline discovers that Lou had a daughter, Maggie, that she gave up for adopting, adoption. Maggie's granddaughter, Mary, returns to the, scale, to the square with the Fowlers after Maggie's husband, Sean, discovers she had an affair with her teacher, Jerry McRae. Billy, J- Billy Jackson is kidnapped by gangsters after he witnessed a break- <laughs> uh, break-in. Then the Jacksons leave Walford for a new life. Ian brings his kids back to Walford after tracking down Cindy in Italy. There we go. Cindy returns to Walford in demand of getting the kids back. Bianca has an abortion. Roy has a heart attack. And Kathy kisses Alex Healy. Oh, the vicar. I remember that. That's it. That happens on Christmas Day. So there you go. Sorry about that. That's a completely unnecessary (laughs) EastEnders in 1997. (laughs) 96 is a better year. Mark, yeah. you, you knew what you were getting in for, Mark. You knew this was going. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I fully expected this. Can I I'm just contractually ask, obliged to get something like that. Can I just ask one last question on the... I know we're dragging on. We're, we're, you know, we only do epics. We're like the the Michael Cimino of podcasts, I suppose, at this point in time. <laughs> but in terms of actual matches and star ratings, can you think of a match that like stands out when you think WCW from this year? Because like for me, it's not about the match quality in this era in WCW, but nothing immediately comes to my mind when I'm thinking of great matches from the promotion in 97. And it's about the and Eddie, Halloween Havoc. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. that is amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that, the one. Yeah, is that, that is the one. Or is that 97? Nah, it's 97. Yeah, 97, 97. Yeah. yeah, there you go. There's that then. Yeah, that's that's a genuine five-star match, isn't it? Uh, I get your overall point, though, Joe. You don't think of it in, like, match terms, do you? Um, it is just kind of lots of really good gentlemen's threes on the TV from the Cruiserweights, the odd four-star match from, you know, Benoit and the lads. Uh, but, yeah, it's kind of, it's more about just the the overall promotion and how kind of cool it is during this period. Um, yeah, definitely. I think um, DDP and Savage is a great American bash ready main event. The pay per view. Oh, that's very good. Yeah, yeah. those for me are Savage's best matches ever. Yeah, uh, wouldn't go that far, but still very good. Very good. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it have been worked out with an that, that and the flare match ninety two. I reckon are his best matches personally. Uh, interesting. I always really like the Warrior match from WrestleMania 7 because he just dragged yeah. him, Rick Rude, and Hulk Hogan were like the Warrior Whisperers. They all dragged uh, yeah. great matches out of him, but that's a favourite for me. Um, but anyway, we'll do the Randy Savage podcast one day. Martin, you're a key worker. We've got to get you up in the morning for, for our fourth. Um, <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> any, uh, anything you want to mention, any plugs you want to say before we, uh, before we do go and wrap this up? 
Might just obviously go and check that um, Ring of Honor British Wrestling Experience out with uh, yourself, Joe and Jamesy. Fantastic episode. And yeah, we'll be back next week at some point. And uh, yeah, we'll be chatting the Riptide show, which I believe was one of the last Brit Rest shows to happen. Unless someone can correct me on that. And it might be really the last good ever. fun. You'll enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might be the last one with, with the crowd for a good amount of time. Uh, yeah, yeah, JP, you talked that in your on our last. Uh, our last spotlight, yeah. but uh, we got anything else uh, we need to plug on our end, Joe or JP? Grapple. Go yeah, and rate the that. shows. Go, go and great. Go through this period of WCW and rate some of the shows. You'll have fun, if mm. nothing else. And then there's like loads of sort of back catalogue stuff, and I'd say go back and watch those. Don't give money to WWE Network. Find a way to watch them. Be creative. There you go. <laughs> What a plug. And yeah, yeah, Gareth has gone through and uh, if anyone's been rating old WCW, we started adding some later WCW as well, some 99, 2000 stuff so added on there as well. And yeah, you can join our ratings there and uh, and add up the uh, the averages for the Bastards of the Beach 97. But yeah, uh, follow Grapple on Twitter at GrappleOp, follow JP at JPGP, follow me at BensonRichardE and uh, follow Martin at Bushby01 as well. And yeah, we'll be back with BWE next week with Martin, myself and Jamesy and yeah, we'll be doing a, a regular spotlight uh, over this weekend too so you should expect that in your feeds on Monday morning but until then I guess we'll see you again soon bye there you are.